get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Nelson scored twice in the game. Batting lefty now. We have third base. And a shot up the middle. what he did and Arise smokes that to center and a great running catch Dylan Carlson tracked that down on the warning track it's what it sounded like last night on Bally Sports Midwest a great game for Dylan Carlson who served as the Cardinals leadoff hitter finishes two for four with an RBI a walk three runs scored and Alex this has been a consistent theme recently with Dylan Carlson over his last you know 30 games or so this is going back to June 9th He's batting 260, but he's getting on base 43% of the time, and he has an 840 OPS. That's super impressive. And so what we saw last night was coming from all corners of the internet, people saying, BK, look at how good this guy is. How could you possibly want anybody else to start over him? And then after the game, you get the quotes. Dylan Carlson says there's no secret that when you have a little bit more of a clear role and a consistent role, guys are probably going to perform a little bit better. But it just hasn't been the case for me, so I've got to try to stay ready and do what I can to help the team. Alex, all of this is fine and dandy. And I want to make this very clear up front because I think my stance on Dylan Carlson, I have not been clear enough about it. I think Dylan Carlson is a really solid player that if you need a corner outfielder that hits really well against lefties... He can be that guy for you. He is solid defensively, and he comes in day in, day out, and you're probably going to get about a 250, 260 hitter with a decent on-base percentage that doesn't slog a ton. That's a fine Major League Baseball player. My problem with Dylan Carlson is that he doesn't make sense for the Cardinals because they already have corner outfielders that they like in Lars Newtbar and in Jordan Walker, and they have guys that they trust more than him on a day-in, day-out basis. My problem is also this. He has been the same player now for three years. He has not improved. Even since June 9th, when he came off of the injured list and has been hitting, again, very well, it's the same way that he's gone about it before. He's been really good against left-handed pitching, where he has a 1,300 OPS against them. You know what he's done against righties, Alex, in this stretch of games? Again, when he's been better and people will cite his stats of how great he's been recently. Probably an 1,800 OPS. He's batting 195 with an OPS of 630 against right-handed pitching since June 8th. 
I just don't really know what Cardinals fans want me to say about the guy. Did he play very well last night? Absolutely. Am I happy for Dylan Carlson? Sure. Do I think that Dylan Carlson should be starting every day, though, over Lars Newbar or Jordan Walker? Not just for this year. This is not about 2023 anymore. We can turn the page. No. Those guys are and should start over him, and I think that's the decision that the Cardinals have ultimately made. So that's where I stand on Dylan Carlson right now. Alex, what'd you see from him last night? Where do you stand on Dylan Carlson? It was a good game for him, and I can understand the frustration if you're him, but you are correct. Anybody who sits there and compares it the same situation as Randy Orozarena just is blatantly wrong. Like Randy Orozarena never got close to 1,500 at-bats at the major league level with the Cardinals, and that's where Dylan Carlson stands. For me, maybe I believe Dylan Carlson is going to have success elsewhere, but that falls into the criteria of he probably just wasn't going to reach that threshold with the Cardinals. And that's not a bad thing. It's just how things go for certain players. Sometimes they don't reach their peak with the team that they're on. They have to go elsewhere. We've seen it around pro sports a lot. But the comment that struck out to me from that post game about Dylan Carlson was Ollie's, where Ollie said at the end of the day, everybody's gotten opportunities and we can feel comfortable about our decision because that's something that I just feel like we've never heard from this Cardinals team. That's something that the Randy Rosarena, the Adolis Garcia, it never fell into that criteria because nobody could sit there and say, well, we made the decision and we felt comfortable with it because we have plenty of opportunities given. He didn't. And Dylan Carlson has gotten that. So it sucks to see this situation happen for him because of all the hype surrounding Dylan Carlson. We all remember the cold, dead hands quote from uh, John Mosellock. But look, it makes sense. They're siding with Lars Dupar because of the upside and frankly, the uncertainty because you haven't seen the same amount of reps as Dylan Carlson had. And Jordan Walker is going to be in the other corner outfield. Now, the bigger question for me is, what are you doing at center field? Because are you going to find an upgrade over Dylan Carlson? Tommy Edmond might be an upgrade defensively, but I don't know if Tommy Edmond's an upgrade offensively. So if you're still going to fix that, then great. But you got to get better than what you have in that position right now. And if you're going to, then yeah, you have to move on from Dylan Carlson. Yeah, they. they... Yeah, I th- I, just to, to answer that question, I don't think they have a center fielder on the roster That's what right now. I was now. Just about to say. They they don't have one. And I know everybody wants Dylan Carlson to be that guy, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Cardinals fans. He's not. He's not a center fielder for the Cardinals. They don't view him that way. And other teams do not view Dylan Carlson as a center fielder. If he is traded, he will go to another team and he will start every day in a corner spot. And guys, I think he's going to be pretty decent in that role. I think he's going to go elsewhere, and you're going to look at the back of the baseball card, and he's going to be a guy that is right around league average offensively and gives you a plus defense in the corner. And there might be some Cardinals fans that look at that and say, I wish he was doing that here. And that's reasonable because he is still very young. There is still some upside baked into his projection long term. But I would rather bet on the profile of Lars Newtbar and Jordan Walker Van Dylan Carlson. Somebody on the text line from the 314 said, guys, tell me what uh, Lars Newtbar has done that Dylan Carlson has not. I mean, literally everything. He has done everything better over the last three seasons than Dylan Carlson. You can argue, like, maybe Carlson is a slightly better defender. I think the arms are very similar. And offensively, Lars Newtbar has the same batting average with a better on-base percentage and a better slugging percentage and is slightly more athletic than Dylan Carlson. So that's why. Oh, and by the way, he's younger, and, or excuse me, he's, he's less experienced at the big league level. 
and he also has more long-term club control. So that's what that's what Lars Newbar has done that Dylan Carlson hasn't. Here's my only problem with all of this, though, BK. If you're going to make this decision and say Dylan Carlson is not a part of our future, then upgrade the position. Don't sure. go sign some middle-tier center fielder and say, well, we feel he's going to provide us an upgrade in center field. You need to upgrade that position. Don't sit there and say Tommy Edmond is the guy. Because, yeah, defensively he probably is. But offensively he's the exact same player. You're going to have to go upgrade that position if you're making this decision. And that's my only that's my only request for the Cardinals. When you make this decision, go above and beyond it and fix the problem. Yeah, I, I don't have an issue with them deciding to make that move. The the thing with them at center field is if they're going to do it defensively, they're going to have to make that decision in terms of, okay, is Edmund the guy for us? Is he not the guy for us? That That's the talk that they're going to have to have because otherwise it – Otherwise, they have to figure out what they're going to do in terms of... I, I don't even know if it is a upgrade for them um, in terms of them deciding to say, okay, we need to go get a bat in center field. I think it is defense is the thing for them that they're going to have to decide and determine, is is that what we want? Because if they say Edmonds defensive guy for us, okay, then you can go with that. But they've already determined that their corners are Newport and Walker. And to BK's point, then there's no conversation for Dylan Carlson right now because he's a corner outfielder. Right. And that is it. And you're going to get these reps for these certain guys and put them there and find out what they are. Here's the other thing with me too, BK, and why I think people are getting a lot more up in arms about what's happening is because John Mosellock and company said Tyler O'Neill is going to be the everyday starting outfielder. And that does not mean for 2024. That's where I feel like the, the conversation is misconstrued. This is hyping up Tyler O'Neill to trade Tyler O'Neill. Tyler O'Neill is not going to be the everyday outfielder beyond August 1st. Yeah, this is to showcase him. That's all it is. They're showcasing Tyler O'Neill for the trade deadline. I do think that the center field discussion is kind of an interesting one, though, Alex, which you brought up. I would like them to upgrade the position. I don't think they need to go out there and spend a boatload of money, though, to do it. And I would even say, like, if they end up just bringing back what they have internally, like... I think that it's a use of assets discussion more than it is like a you have to upgrade this spot in your lineup discussion. Dylan Carlson is going to get you something on the open market. And if they don't view him as a center fielder and they clearly do not, that's the way that they should use that asset. So, I, yeah, the, the Tyler O'Neill thing to me is pretty simple. Like, I know that there's going to be people that are up in arms about the fact that he's starting every day. You shouldn't be. He's going to be gone two weeks from now yeah and they want to show other teams that he's healthy and that's why they're going to go ahead and start him on a day in day out basis but this idea that carlson just needs more opportunity it's nonsense he has 500 plate appearances over the last two seasons against right-handed pitching in those 500 plate appearances the guy has an on-base percentage of 300 and an ops of 640 i i just alex help me out here man because I'm trying to understand why Carlson gets the kind of grace that no other Cardinals has had since I've been in St. Louis. It is a weird phenomenon to me, man. I know he's really young, but he is not inexperienced at this point. He's a guy that has had plenty of experience. I think it's the hype. I think it's the hype that John Mosley, Mo, Mo put himself in this position by making the, the cold dead hands comment about Dylan Carlson, and then you get the Juan Soto stuff from last year. The hype has been placed around him, and because the age is so young, people don't want to see Randy Rosarena 2.0, but what they don't see is you're 1,200 more games than what Randy Rosarena has had, or 1,200 more at-bats than that 
you've already established who you are, and it's just not going to be who you think you should be with the Cardinals. It might be elsewhere. Yeah, and, and I think for Carlson, I think that overhype, I, it's fascinating because I would think that the overhype would lead to more people thinking along the lines of us of, he's got to get out of, and I don't want to make it sound like we're trying to get rid of him. I mean, we're just saying it because they have better options right now and there's a higher value for Carlson on the open market for teams that are looking to trade for him. But I would think that that would almost lead to more people saying he's not lived up to the hype. It's time to move on right now. But it's just been the opposite. And it is weird for me because I feel like people are like the high school parents saying my kid deserves more playing time. It's his senior year and he hasn't taken the steps to deserve more playing time. So I've gotten tired of hearing it about he doesn't have a defined role. The reason he doesn't have a defined role is because he can't hit right handers. Yeah, we, we're getting all of these excuses. He played the COVID year as his rookie year, wrist injury, now injuries this year, hasn't had any consistency. It was either COVID or injuries. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's the way that it works in the big leagues. If you get hurt a lot, that is on you. Somebody else said, guys, it's about the fact that he was touted as such a highly uh, touted prospect, and now he's still so incredibly young. Yes, and normally when a guy is touted as highly as Dylan Carlson is, and he disappoints like this, he is rushed out of town as quickly as humanly possible. I think it's probably good that there's a little bit of grace that's being shown to Dylan Carlson, and I think he's going to be a good player eventually. But the way that he is treated with these kid gloves is unlike anything that I've seen uh, from any other player in my time covering the Cardinals here in St. Louis. Coming up next, Skip Schumacher. He was around the Cardinals a whole heck of a lot last season. We're going to talk to him about what's gone right for him down in Miami and what has he learned specifically about the development of young pitching. There's maybe nobody better in Major League Baseball at developing it than the Marlins. We'll talk to Skip Schumacher about that coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. One of the biggest surprises in Major League Baseball this season has been the Miami Marlins, their first-year manager. Skip Schumacher is joining us now via the 101 ESPN hotline. Of course, former Cardinals bench coach and 2011 World Series champion. We always appreciate him joining us here on the show. Skip, how you doing today, my friend? Uh, I was doing better until last night's game, but I'm doing really good. <laughs> Thanks for asking absolutely we're thrilled to have you so I I wanted to start out with this Skip I know last year uh the the big run for the Cardinals kind of began uh when I left our microphone in your (laughs) guys's office has anybody left a mic in your office this year is that why the Marlins have had so much success in 2023 you were the turning point of the season last year there's no (laughs) doubt about it so uh, yeah, maybe uh, maybe that's what they needed over there at the beginning of the year. I'm not sure, but uh, but yeah, I needed uh, I need something. I think the second half to get us going now. Skip, so if you could leave that uh, in our in my office today, that'd be great. Skip, we're happy to send him over to Miami for you and just let him be the reporter covering <laughs> you guys the rest of the season. <laughs> Perfect, I'll take it. <laughs> Love to see it. All right, Skip. In all seriousness, you guys are unbelievable in one run games. I I have never seen anything like this. I, they've always said, you know, the analytics guys will tell you, hey, one run games not a skill. That is something that is is more luck, and over time it will uh, even out. But it has not for the Miami Marlins. You you guys have been remarkably good in those games. What can you attribute that to, if anything? 
Yeah, I think the the old saying is, you know, show me a good manager and I'll show you a good bullpen. Um, I think that's really what it was um, and, and still is. You know, we Nardi went down, one of our high-leverage lefty relievers that has hurt us recently. Um, but Tanner Scott, A.J. Puck have been so good in the back end of that bullpen. Um, and I think what it was is the beginning of the year, we had some crazy kind of walk-off wins, uh, come from behind wins. And there started uh, – growing a belief inside that clubhouse and dugout that we are never out of it. And once you start getting one of the, you know, a couple of those in a row um, and then kind of closing down, locking down those late inning games with A.J. Puck not really being a closer before and kind of growing into that role, Tanner Scott, um, you know, had 20 saves last year, but has now become like one of our actual dudes in high leverage, middle of the order kind of guys. Um, I think that's when you start getting that buy-in and belief and it kind of, you know, just grew a little bit and, uh, and I think that's what started everything. Skip, when, when anybody around baseball talks about the Marlins this season, they talk about how dominant the pitching has been, but really it's the growth of pitching in the system for the Marlins. And throughout your last few seasons of being on the benches with different teams and now as a manager, how have you seen the development of pitchers and the influence that they have on the games change? Well, it's, it's a big deal to have swing and miss in your rotation and in your bullpen. Um, the way the game is trending, we know with the no shift um, and, you know, pretty much playing the kind of old school baseball, um, you know, pitching to, con- to contact is, is a little more challenging on your, on your defense and, um, you know, how you're scouting and how you're advancing and how you're positioning. It, it's just really tough. And you have to have athletes all over the place if you have pitch to contact. Um, and luckily for us, you know, we've had some real swing and miss guys with Cabrera, who's coming back tonight. Um, obviously, uh, Lozardo, who you saw last night, um, we had Yuri Perez, who's, you know, one of the young stars in the game, uh, that came up in our rotation. We had some injuries with, you know, Trevor Rogers, but I think more than anything that, you know, I've seen, you know, being in, uh, the last couple of organizations is having swing and miss is real. And especially when you get into playoff scenarios, you, know, you see these, you know, one and twos, uh, on, in rotations have swing and miss. And I think that's what can carry you through a season. As an organization, Skip, the Marlins have been remarkable at developing that starting pitching from within. Have you noticed a theme as to why they have had so much success with that? Well, I think it starts with drafting. Uh, You draft it. It's it's tough to just develop swing and miss, right? So I think they've done a really good job at drafting and identifying some guys in trades. Uh, You know, Kim had a really good trade in getting Lozardo for a uh, Marte, uh, Marte was a you know a rental in Oakland. She uh, get got a controllable starter in Lizardo. Uh Mel Stoudemire did a really good job of developing him into more of a uh, strike thrower with his stuff uh, that plays inside the strike zone, swing and miss. Um, internationally, they've done a really good job of getting uh, guys like Edward Cabrera and um, Yuri Perez, and again trades of AJ Puck and Tanner Scott in the back end of our bullpen. Um, have been have been really good for for Kim and with uh, her group in identifying what we needed. So I think that's that's what it is uh, for the most part. There are a lot of uh, organizations now that have these pitching labs um, around the around the MLB that uh, are identifying um, how to develop swing and miss more. Um, that we're you know trying to figure out on our end as well.
We're talking with Skip Schumacher, former Cardinal, former Cardinals bench coach, and now the Marlins manager on BK and Ferrario. Skip, on the other side of the field, it has not gone well this season for the Cardinals, and obviously your focus is on Miami and the Marlins season, but what have you made of the Cardinals' struggles this season? Yeah, it's tough because you have a lot of friends over there. I have a lot of friends over there still, and um, you know, I'd be lying to say if I wasn't following them every day, uh, just because I, you know, you're invested in them because of what you know last year and was there for so long, and I just loved being next to Ollie last year, and I wouldn't be in this position if John Mozeliak didn't give me a shot here. So I understand, you know, why I'm here is because of you know the belief they had in me all those years. Um, that doesn't. It never goes away for me in my thought. And I just thought uh, watching it is surprising, honestly. Um, you know, with the pillars they have in Goldie and Otto over there and um, the rotation I thought was, you know, with the healthy Flaherty and Montgomery and Miles at the top uh, was good enough. And a healthy Helsley in the back end is, you know, still a really good team. So um, I, it's, it's surprising. I'll just, leave, I just say that. I just don't – I. Nobody wants to come into St. Louis and play them in a three or four game set. Still, um, I don't like it. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know. I, it's surprising to, to see where the record is, and um, and so hopefully, you know, on our side, we can sneak a couple wins, get the heck out of here. <laughs> Skip, I know you and Ollie are, are, are tight, and you certainly had a great relationship last year as his bench coach. I did want to ask you, uh, John John Mozeliak has come out and said very clearly, Ollie's not going anywhere. They, the organization believes in him as the manager of this team, but as you can probably imagine, uh, fans grow restless when you go through a season unlike anything that fans here in St. Louis have seen in you know a generation now. From your perspective, having seen him up close and in person on a day-in, day-out basis last year, what is it about Ollie Marmel that would give you confidence that he can be the manager that gets this thing turned around in 2024? Yeah, I know who Ollie is. You know, I've had a lot of uh, rookie managers as a player and as a coach that I sat, that I sat next to and learned from, um, and there's no one that's been better than Ollie. Uh, the communication, the preparation, um, trying to put guys in the right spots to succeed, uh, there's always a learning curve as a rookie manager. I'm, I'm learning as a rookie manager. He's in his second year. He's got good guys around him. I know Turner Ward is one of the better guys in baseball and not just in the organization that he leans on. And if you ask Goldie about it, uh, or Nato about Turner Ward, I think they'd give you uh, as big a praise as anybody they've ever been around on, on what he means to, to them and that organization. Um, so Ollie's a leader. Um, you know, he has some non-negotiables in that clubhouse, and that's how you build a culture. And um, and I believe in the same thing. And I, I think um, uh, I have belief in Ollie. Uh, I'd, I'd sit next to him again if given the chance. Uh, my managing career doesn't work out. <laughs> um, so uh, that's how much I believe in him, and, and, I, and I hope they get it right because it's not, it's not Ollie. I, I just I believe in him so much. I just don't think that. Um, that's the the way to go uh, ever. Skip, final one from me that I, I am just curious, the personal side of it from a, a player's perspective. Dylan Carlson right now is the talk of the town because it looks like he's going to go shifted back to the fourth outfield position to where he was getting some opportunities. Just from a player's perspective, you've been around Dylan Carlson. You know the type of player he is. How tough of a situation is he in right now? Well, it's what you do with your opportunity. You know, I'm not in that clubhouse now. Um, you know, I don't know, you know, the conversations that Ollie and the staff has had with, with Dylan. I know Dylan's a pro and 
uh, he's going to handle it like a pro, and you never know what's going to happen in this game. Uh, guys get injured, guys get hurt, um, and guys get traded, right? And then you have your, your opportunity, and it's are you ready for your opportunity? Uh, he beat us last night, <laughs> that's for sure, and um, I wasn't real happy with the catch he made early in the game, and the base hit up the middle off Flora wasn't uh, ideal for me in my seat. Um, the guy, the kid's a good player. He's going to prepare the right way. He's not. A, I, don't, I know for sure he's not a problem in the clubhouse. He's going to work, and you know when given the opportunity, he's going to give you everything he's got. So um, as a player, um, you know this is you know the challenge of uh, sometimes this happens, and uh, and you know when your opportunity arises, he's going to get some starts. He's going to get some pinch hit at bats in big spots, and and uh, and he's a he's a pro, and he'll uh, he'll give you everything he's got, and that's all you can ask for as a coach and a manager. Skip, uh, we'll get you out of here on this. I know that one job that you take very seriously outside of what you do with the Marlins is your job as a father. You got a couple of kids at home. Uh, my wife gave birth to our first kid last week. Um, I am curious. Thank you, thank you. If, if you had any pieces of advice for a new father, one piece of advice, what would it be? You know, I, people uh, ask me that all the time. I'm actually sitting right across from my son right now. He's uh, he's on this trip with me and uh, just enjoying this trip with him, enjoying every moment. Um, well, two things. Uh, one, I would say don't forget to date your wife, right? Because when you have kids, um, it's tough because you're all in on your kids and um, you want to give them everything you got, but don't forget about your wife. So you date your wife, continue dating your wife. I, that was a really big piece of advice. Uh, given to me and then uh, uh, honestly enjoy it um, I, I think a lot of kids uh, a lot of especially my seat they put too much pressure fathers put too much pressure on on the kids and, and during sporting events um, enjoy it enjoy the ride and uh, that's kind of uh, the biggest piece of advice I can give on both ends of that been fun awesome. so far. We were very new into it, and uh, his favorite thing to do is to pee everywhere as he is on the changing table. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that goes over the coming weeks. Skip, we I appreciate the time. Wait, here's another piece of advice. One of my yeah. best friends uh, kept putting the diaper on backwards, oh. so he didn't have to do it anymore. So uh, maybe go with that one. See how that goes. Skip, that's genius. That's what I do with laundry, so I don't have to wash clothes anymore because I do it poorly. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Just putting on backwards, frustrate your wife, so she just says, oh, I'll do it. And yeah, that goes. You're the best. Skip, thanks so much for the time, man. Uh, enjoy your weekend or your week here in St. Louis. Uh, continued success to you and the Marlins. We're certainly enjoying watching this from afar, man. All right. Take care, guys. And congrats again on the baby. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That is Skip Schumacher, Marlins manager, former Cardinals bench coach, and of course, World Series champion here in St. Louis as a player as well, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Let me start with this, Alex. I don't think it is a surprise to anybody that Skip Schumacher is having the success that he's had so far as a manager. Not at all. It's the least surprising thing in the world. Yeah. And, of course, we got it on the text line. Guys, I I can't believe that the Cardinals didn't give him the job over Ollie Marmol, all of these sorts of things. If you read between the lines on answers, you can sometimes get pretty revealing quotes from people. And I think Skip, what he said about Ollie, tells you basically everything you need to know. Ollie Marmol is a really good manager. Skip Schumacher, also a very good manager. We don't have to pit those two up against one another. 
And Alex, I thought the most revealing quote from Skip was what he said at the very beginning to your uh, to your question. He said, show me a good manager and I'll show you a good bullpen. And I think this year the Cardinals have not had a good bullpen. And they have not had good pitching, which is going back to the swing and miss that Skip talked about as well. The things that are going right for Skip there, he would not have had any of that at his disposal here in St. Louis. And that is what Ollie Marmol has been doing or dealing with so far this year. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I frankly loved how blunt he was with it to where he said, guys, Ollie is not the problem. And I mean, that's somebody who was sitting next to him. And I know I already saw the text that said, well, what do you expect him to say? Look, Skip Schumacher is like the Colton Pareko of baseball. He's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, but he's also a baseball lifer and he's seen a lot of good and he's seen a lot of bad. So I'll take his word for it. But I will say the one thing that stuck out to me too, when he was talking about that swing and miss stuff, BK, was how he how impactful Mel Stoudemire was for the market. Marlins pitching staff in terms of bringing in pitchers and finding ways to get them to use the swing and miss stuff that they have and isolate the strike zone. And I do think that's the coaching side of the things to where when you get the right guys, you're going to have to make sure that you manage them or you use them in the right capacity to get the best out of them. And that's going to be a task for this Cardinals team moving into next season. If you missed any of our conversation with Skip Schumacher, the Marlins manager, you can check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Weather permitting, Cardinals back in action tonight against Skip's Marlins. 645 first pitch in that one. Coming up next, Alex said something interesting to me earlier today. He said, I think that the Blues are going to be able to take the Kings' path back into contention. He'll explain why next here on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. So we were doing our pre-show meeting earlier today and Alex said something that I found pretty interesting. He said, BK... I think the Blues are going to go the L.A. Kings path back into contention, and they're going to do it without bottoming out the way that the L.A. Kings did. Alex, why is that? Because of their prospect pool, and I find this so fascinating. So Scott Wheeler uh, of The Athletic, he put together his top 50 prospect list, and that's not just from this year's draft. It's basically a list of players who have not played a full NHL season that are under the age of 23. And he had Dalibor Dvorsky at 16th overall on his top 50 list. And he had Jimmy Snuggerud at number 23. Those two players in the top 25 tell me they are the Blues are following the same trajectory as the L.A. Kings did. And that's what Doug Armstrong said he was going to accomplish. And what I mean by that is 2017-2018 season. That was the last time that the Kings made the playoffs uh, prior to these last couple of years. They went into a three-year drought where they missed the playoffs. The reason the Blues are different is because the Kings missed the playoffs 
poorly. Like they were eighth place, seventh place and sixth place. And if you look at how they drafted beyond that, they've got the, uh, they had the 11th overall pick, the fifth overall pick, the second overall pick. And then the next year they had the eighth overall pick, but that was from a previous trade. And with those picks, they took guys who are now a piece of their team. They've got an Alex Turcotte, who's a centerman. They've got Quentin Byfield, who's a big centerman for him. And they got Gabe Velarde, who we talked about, although he has been since uh, traded to the Winnipeg Jets to bring in Pierre-Luc Dubois. Bad trade. Not going to digress here. They did that, though, BK, by needing to use the 11th overall pick, the 5th overall pick, and the 2nd overall pick. And then the 8th overall pick the next year. The Blues, they drafted Snuggerud, what was that? That was 17th overall. They get Dalibor Dvorsky 10th overall, and then add in the complimentary pieces of the Deans and the Bulldukes. They're going to go in the same path where I think they get back into a playoff, maybe conversation this year, if not next year. But the contention begins in that three-year time frame because of these draft picks. And they're going to do it in a different way, meaning they're not going to have to be one of the worst teams in the National Hockey League they're going to be in the middle of the pack and then kind of put themselves back in the conversations because of how well they've drafted with some of these guys. Yeah, I think when you look at the way that the Blues are trying to go about this, (laughs) people aren't going to be happy when I say this. It kind of reminds me a little bit of some of what the Cardinals have done in recent years. And this is not the bad version of the Cardinals, right? They're not just like patching over holes that we know are there and pretending that they don't exist. I think what they're doing is they're saying, you know what, we're not going to go into this constant rebuild cycle. Last year, they were one game below 500. They were right there of being at least a competitive team. No, not not to the point where they were like at the end of the year trying to get into the postseason, but they were... They were never to the point where we were saying, like, this is just an uh, absolute abomination the way that, like, the Blackhawks or the Coyotes or the Ducks were. They never got into that range, really. Mm-hmm. And and what I like about how they've treated this offseason, Alex, they look at the spots in their lineup that could have been held by younger players like a Zachary Dean or Nikita Alexandrov, and they say, we're going to go ahead and push that off a little bit. We want to see proven veterans in those spots in the lineup. Now... This does have some unintended consequences. Like, maybe Nikita Alexandrov was just ready for that fourth-line role. Maybe you look back two years from now and the Blues traded away a really good young player that just never got the opportunity because of this. It's possible. We've seen that with the Cardinals, certainly. But I prefer this route. I prefer getting Kevin Hayes in the middle of a line that has, you know, Jake Neighbors and Jakub Vrana on it. I prefer seeing Oscar Sundquist on a fourth line with Sammy Blay and Alexi Torbchenko to be able to truly evaluate what you have. And I think that is what Doug Armstrong has allowed himself to do going into this season is, let's go ahead and evaluate the talent that we have on our roster. Let's see how many of these guys are going to be around for 2025 when we really think that we are ready to be contending for something meaningful again. This year is not about winning a cup. It's about getting back to evaluating the talent that you have on the roster. Last year was weird. Was the defensive core an absolute atrocity? Or was it just a down year for them and really it was more on the forwards than it was the defense? That's what we need to find out. And I think that's what Doug Armstrong is trying to give himself the opportunity to do with some of the moves that he's made this offseason. They know what's coming. And what's coming are difference makers in younger players that are cost-controlled. Jimmy Snuggerud, according to Scott Wheeler, is a top-six forward who is going to be a goal scorer. Um, Dalibor Dvorsky is a two-way centerman who is going to be playing in your top six. 
and then add in a Bolduke who's got offensive skills and a Zachary Dean who is a really good top nine centerman or at least projects to be. They know what's coming. And the difference when the L.A. Kings started this turnaround was, you know, they already had the Ange Kopitars and they had the Drew Doughty's who were filling in certain spots. But then they just let these young players come in and play and grow. The difference here is the Blues are going to let these younger kids go to wherever they're going to have the most success. And when they're ready for that NHL opportunity, it's going to be because the Blues deem them ready to step in and contribute. And that's why the difference there is if you've already got pieces that can help you win, the Kairos, the Thomases, the Buchnevichs, the Shens, those pieces help kind of buy, buy you time so that when the next crop comes in, you can start to really compete. That's why it might be more important for this team to make a playoff run this year, just in terms of being close and getting into the playoffs so that those guys can feel it so that when the next younger group comes in, they're able to assist the group that just got close to a playoff run. And now you can start building on that and go deeper into it. All right. So speaking of the veterans that they decided to bring in this past off season to patch up some of those holes, the blues had an interesting decision to make. Now, we thought they were going to go the Ross Colton route, where Ross Colton was the Tampa Bay Lightning's third-line center. He ended up getting traded to the Colorado Avalanche for the number 37 overall pick. Yesterday, he signed a four-year contract with the Avs to avoid arbitration worth $4 million per year. Four years, four mil per. The Blues instead decided to trade a sixth-round pick for Kevin Hayes. Kevin Hayes with the Blues, because they ended up getting that retention from the Flyers, is on a three-year deal worth $3.6 million per year. So, for all intents and purposes, basically the same AAV, but one fewer years and certainly as an older player than what the Blues would have had with Ross Colton. Alex, when you look back at that decision, it essentially became this. Would you rather have Kevin Hayes and Theo Lindstein, the number 29 overall pick that the Blues made this year, or Ross Colton? So when you look back at that decision, which side would you rather have? I, I think I would rather have Ross Colton. And I, I, I like the trade of Kevin Hayes and the fact that you only had to deal with trading a future sixth round pick makes it a little bit more of a slight edge. But now looking at it, I like the age of Ross Colton. And I know a lot of people look at it and say he's a fourth liner. I don't think that. I think he was a fourth liner for Tampa Bay. And he's going to get a higher opportunity with the Colorado Avalanche. And we're going to be looking at that saying, man, what a player that they got for a, a second round pick. So I, I know the money's pretty similar, but uh, Ross Colton's getting a little bit more. But as the salary cap rises, $4 million is going to be a steal. And I think Kevin Hayes is going to be a really good player for this Blues team. I would still probably rather have Ross Colton. And that's with me giving up that late first round pick that was Theo Lindstein just because of the age, the way that Ross Colton plays. And I think it also fits that need a little bit more desired than what Kevin Hayes is. Yeah, I think this is really going to come down to two things. One, of course, what Theo Lindstein becomes. If Lindstein ends up being like a top four defenseman Alex for you, Petrangelo, man. Of course, if he becomes something of value on the NHL club, you're going to look back on this and say that the Blues made the right decision, right. Like, regardless of what happens with Colton or Hayes. But the other thing, Alex, is I think it comes down to what happens with some of the guys that are currently in your system, specifically like a Zachary Dean. Yeah, because it's entirely possible that by the end of the year, Kevin Hayes is not that third line center for you. And instead, it's Zachary Dean that's playing in that capacity. And if Dean ends up being really good, by signing a Ross Colton or trading for him, 
you might have ended up locking yourself into something long term that you might not want yeah. three years from now. And maybe Ross Colton is nothing more than a fourth line player that can play up in the lineup as opposed to a third line player that had to play down because he was on the Tampa Bay Lightning. And if that ends up being the case, you know, a $4 million per year at AAV is going to look like a bad contract for the, the Avs. All of that being said, I'm with you. I would take the upside of a Ross Colton. He's 26 years old. He's going to be 27 this upcoming season. He's been a 15-plus goal scorer each of the last two seasons, and he plays a little bit of a heavier game than Kevin Hayes. He's also got a little bit more speed yeah. than Kevin Hayes. So I think he fits in a little bit better. This is by no means to suggest that I think the Hayes trade was a complete bust, but now that we have seen both sides finalized in terms of the contracts on both ends and what ended up coming from the draft picks, I personally would have rather made the deal for Ross Colton than Kevin Hayes. And now that both are in this division, we'll be able to see up close what it ends up being for both teams over the next few seasons. I think the one thing that helps this team in terms of acquiring Kevin Hayes and not Ross Colton is you needed some size down the middle. Because going up against Colorado's and going up against Minnesota's and Nashville's and Winnipeg's, you were outmatched in terms of size a lot last season. Kevin Hayes provides that that Ross Colton wasn't going to when you got a six foot five centerman, albeit he's not like a Selkie trophy candidate, but he's going to provide you something that you didn't have these last couple of years, which sure. is really necessary, especially for how small your defense is. Somebody else on the text line brings this up, and I think it's a fair point. You've also got to take into account the personality that they have in the locker room as well. And I think and that it, was more important than skill for this Blues team. Yeah, I, I think that was a big part of the Ross or the the decision to go with Kevin Hayes. Mm -hmm. I think they really wanted his personality in that dressing room. We'll see how it ends up going. Yep. Coming up next, three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on one hundred and one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on one hundred and one ESPN. You've got questions; we may have the answers. Maybe it's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers. Alex, what do you got for us today, man? So T-Bone just pulled one of these I'm young things. BK, I'm going to sing something and you tell me what it's from. Text line, tell me what it's from. <clears throat> I don't want to wait for the What's it from? He doesn't. BK, know. no. Yeah. You're only two years younger than me, man. You should know that. What is it from? It's from Dawson's Creek. I never watched it. I didn't either, but I just know the theme song. Yeah, I, I wouldn't yeah. have recognized it. I was that. singing, and T Bone goes, Well, what's that from? Never mind. Okay, so apparently I'm old. Thanks, BK. Yeah, no, I, I never watched Dawson's Creek at all. Well, I didn't either, but you, don't, you know the theme song. Obviously nope. not. Okay. No. Nope. Hey, wasn't a big Dawson's Creek guy. Hey, bleep me. You know. Yeah. Is this something that you feel like I should have known? Yeah, it's something <laughs> that like everybody knows. Like I, I feel like that's a little different than not knowing like the Sopranos uh, theme song or like the Friends theme song. Yeah, it, you it, know, it's the equivalent of Friends theme song. It was a popular. You think Dawson's show. Creek was as no, big as Friends? Yeah. Not as no, not as big. But in terms of theme songs, when you hear those those words, you know what it's from. Text lines coming through big time for me. Okay, 
right. Lame show. Absolutely. 399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Somebody says that it was only the theme song for the first few seasons as well. Oh, well. I don't know. I just know that it's Dawson's Creek. So. Somebody said it's it's the way that you sang it that threw people off. This is on you. What are you talking about? <laughs> I nailed it. Go listen to it. It sounds the exact same as the one that way I just sounded. That's fair. Touche. All right. <laughs> What's your favorite? Uh, what What do you think is the most iconic theme song for a show? Oh, um, Friends. Friends is definitely way Seinfeld. Up there. Absolutely. Mash you know what I would go with? Like, office. I think that there are certain songs that are forever tied to a show. CSI Miami. Oh, yeah. Bum, 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 bum. Like, I, I think that one is just forever tied to that, yeah. unfortunately. The Office, too. Um, I, I mean, I know I'm saying that as an Office fan, but when you hear those high notes, you know exactly what it is. Yeah. Oh, 100%. All right, uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 314. Guys, who do you think that the Cardinals should target to be their center fielder next season? Do you think they should look into a free agent like Kevin Kiermeyer or Harrison Bader? Or do you think that they have somebody already on the roster? I, I don't personally think they have somebody on your on the roster. I I'm not fully in on Tommy Edmond as the center fielder, only because I, I do think you're gonna have to have some offense from that position. I don't think you could have him solely off of his defense. And if so, I don't think his defense is that great. I, the problem is there's nobody on the free agent market that you can sign and say other than Harrison Bader, but I don't see that happening. And then you're talking about making some type of trade. So I, I frankly don't know who they should target. If you come back with Tommy Edmond, that's fine. I think you can compete with them, but I still think if you're going to move on from Dylan Carlson, you need to find an upgrade and Tommy Edmond's not it. Yeah, I, I don't think they have one on the roster because I, I just disagree with Edmund as being a center fielder, and it's just because of his arm. I think his jump is fine out there, but there's been multiple occasions in which I've been able to go, yeah, it'd be really helpful if he had an arm in this case. He could have thrown that guy potentially out at home. I, I would say that they're going to go on the market. It's really three names, I'd say, that are probably potential targets. Bader, definitely one of them. Kiermaier would be another if... if Toronto doesn't want to resign him, but he's been awesome there. And then another one to keep an eye on would be Michael A. Taylor. He'll be a free agent. Not much of a bat, oh. but he's he's good defensively. Who'd so, you say? Michael A. Taylor. Oh, jeez. I, I, but that, that's one of those that's words. That's not an like, upgrade. I would say it's an upgrade. You get a guy that plays great defensive center field, and you put him out there, and he hits ninth. I mean, he basically just, plays a role just, that Bader should have been. Just keep Edmund in center field in that scenario. Stupid. Get an upgrade. Yeah, but... Uh, the upgrade you're looking for is like a guy that's like 140 OPS plus. Like, it's just not going to happen. Be bold, baby. Be the, the up, bold. The upgrade was going out this past offseason and getting Brandon Nimmo. And he decided to stay in his hometown. That that, that That's the reality. Uh, from the 314, by the way, guys, everybody's saying on the text line, Cheers is the uh, that makes sense. The fresh song. That fresh Prince is another one. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, from the 314, guys, how do you feel about Mizzou football going into 2023? Is there any scenario in which they become a team to watch in the SEC East? <laughs> oh, sorry. That was a good one. Uh, that was Damn, funny. Man. I heard earlier today the balloon party. I I appreciated what, uh, what Tim McKernan was saying. He said he thinks that there's a better than 50% chance that Mizzou comes into that LSU game 5-0 and on the season. Yeah, we Who know that's not going to happen. before that? South Dakota, yeah, Middle Tennessee, K-State, Memphis, and Vanderbilt. Okay. I'll say two losses. I think there's one loss, and then that would be K-State. Yeah, but there's one that we're not expecting that's going to happen that makes BK lose his mind. 
Yeah, Drink Drink will play a little yeah. too conservative and somehow blow a game. The vein in BK's head's going to pop. They're not going to be ranked by the time they get to that LSU game. And I want to go to that LSU game. So no chance. Um, I think at best they're like six and six, and you get the classic Eli Drinkowitz. Drink, Drink may get a day named after him, like Jeff Fisher has one. Where what is oh. Fisher's eight eight or seven and nine? Seven and nine. Seven and nine. Yeah, Drink, Drink may have six six. July six. I think or there'll June be a 6th. bull game. Like, there'll be a bull team again, and then we'll be like, oh, cool, congrats. Yeah, wow, look, and, and and we can look back on the season yeah. and go, well, they wouldn't be bull eligible if they actually schedule yeah. real opponents. I've yeah, lost all my of that team, BK. Yeah. And now I, I, I think it all comes down to the quarterback. Yep. I think it all comes down to the quarterback. There you go. Oh, well, I read something yesterday that uh, Sam Horn is building confidence because he's performing well in the baseball field. You know, Brad we'll Underwood would say describe the Mizzou season perfectly, I think. I think they have a chance to be a lot better than people are expecting. And, and when I say that, I'm not talking about like going 10 and 2, 11 and 1, or anything like that. Like they're going to lose to LSU. They're going to lose to Georgia. They're almost certainly going to lose to Tennessee. Their ceiling this year, I think, is nine wins. Um, but that defense has a chance to be one of, like, they could be defensively this year what Illinois was last year. And then the ceiling for the season comes down to what they're able to get out of their offense, and that really just comes down to their quarterback situation. Last year they weren't good enough, and the hope is that they can be much, much, much better this season. But I, I don't know, man. I don't know how to how to really buy into that right now with the options that they have. Drink, drink shown enough to buy in. Coming up next, speaking of buying in, the Cardinals are saying all the right things about how they're going to approach their rotation going into next year. Alex, are you buying it? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Pitching, 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 right? Yeah, that's not to say we're going to ignore a position player that you know, may be like just uber great. And mm-hmm. so we have to be you know, cognizant of that. But I think the goal would be to address as much pitching as possible. So that's what John Mozeliak had to say yesterday when he was meeting with the media about what the Cardinals' plans are at the trade deadline. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That audio is courtesy of the great Katie Wu of The Athletic. Alex, the Cardinals said all the right things yesterday and have been saying all of the right things here for the last few weeks about what they plan to do with their pitching. They want to modernize things. They want to go out there and be uber-aggressive, both at the trade deadline and then into free agency, in order to improve what has clearly been a failure, organizationally, with the way that they approached their pitching, both rotation-wise and out of the bullpen. He then, though, went on to double down on the Cardinals' plans this offseason. Alex... Because one of the primary questions you've had, and I think it's a fair one, is, okay, it's great to say all of this, but are you going to back it with the necessary money? Or are you eventually going to do what they've always done, which is, okay, we need this, let's go get a second-tier player in that specific category. And that really comes back to, do you have the necessary money to make the big moves? Here's what John Mozeliak had to say about the payroll flexibility that they apparently have going into the offseason. I mean, we have a lot coming off the books, so um, I think for you know free agents, when you think about that, I think we'll have dollars. <laughs> I think we'll have dollars. Have we taken into consideration 
anybody whose money is going to roll into next season without us thinking about it now? Like, is Wayno going to get 15 mil next year because he's retired that we're not sure of? So, Because that's what the loophole looks like. I tried to do as good of payroll math as I could yesterday, and as you just mentioned, Alex, I tried doing this last year, and then hmm. Mo, Mo pulled the fast one on me. Look over here! <laughs> so... I have the Cardinals at roughly $135 million committed for next year, and they've got, in that scenario, about 19 players under contract. So if you just add a few more guys that are on the league minimum to get to the full roster, they're at about 145 right now. They had an opening day payroll this year of 175 Oh, good God. If we expect them to improve from that number, which is what we thought they were going to do this year, but then, you know, they got scared because of the money and whatnot uh, with the TV rights contracts. Wayno got money, man. They have roughly $40 million, maybe $50 million to spend going into the offseason. Oh, well, I guess we can't get Shohei. Alex, when Shoot. you hear that and you hear what John Mosellock had to say, are you believing at all? that the Cardinals are going to spend the necessary money this offseason to truly and meaningfully upgrade this rotation. I'm believing that there needs to be a change of philosophy, and they recognize that, which is a good sign, because in the past I don't think that was there. But I'm not believing they're going to spend the necessary dollars that can significantly upgrade the rotation so if there's 40 million dollars you say in the money available to them we already know that michaelis is going to be one of those spots matt slash internal competition for the five starting position and then hopefully they acquire somebody that fits one three or four beyond that i'm thinking everybody else is probably like oh good go spend the money on aranola go spend 30 million dollars and bring in aranola I'm more thinking that we're going to see Alex Cobb, James Paxton, and Rich Hill all make a combined $30 million and say, we upgraded the rotation, guys. Man, don't tempt me with a good time. Rich Hill? (laughs) I I honestly think I might have to take a vacation day if that is what their offseason looks like. You may want to just, like, you know, take a longer vacation than a day. Not in the T-bone vacation where I need to go, like, enjoy a hot dog and cool down. I, I, I look at it and I say I think what they're going to do now that we hear that, that these comments from Mo, I still am skeptical that they're going out and spending for like an Aaron Nola, Blake Snell, someone like that. I think Oh, mother! Son of a bee! <laughs> I, I think what they're going to do is they're going to they're gonna stretch on a number two, oh, like gosh. a Sonny Gray, oh, or no. a I think Giolito would fall into oh, that no. category. Giolito's going to get paid, by the way. I, After yeah. hearing the way that the Major League Baseball views him, that dude's going to get like 25 mil a year. Yeah, and I, that's why I said like, I think in kind of that second tier, but I, I think Giolito's a guy that I'm, I'm kind of stretching on in that. I, I think he is, to your point, going to get paid and not fall into this category. But I can see like Sonny Gray being the guy, and then you divvy up the rest of the money between two more starters oh, that God. have like swing and miss stuff with some upside like Paxton, which to me does make some sense to a degree. You and this and then, James Paxton and then, thing. And then decide to spend the rest of the money on the bullpen. Cool. I, I, I Enjoy the $12 million for your guy who's on the IL for the next three years. He's been healthy right now, and he's only getting a one-year deal from the Cardinals. Like th- That's what they're going to do. Is They're going to give out one contract. My guess is going to be like four to five years, and then they're going to hand out the rest to the other two guys that are going to be one-year kind of prove-it deals that have an option maybe attached to it, which a lot of teams do, by the way. I know you're shaking your head, but the Dodgers <laughs> did that with Syndergaard. Yeah, but uh, they the know how Angels to evaluate talent. That. 
What? Well, the Angels don't. The, the Dodgers yeah, do. Yeah, but the Angels, the Angels have done it. Like teams are doing that with these back in our San Diego did this with Michael Walker. How are all these teams doing right now? Huh? Well, they had the right idea. Oh, did they? But it doesn't work out. Is it the right idea when your team still sucks? The Dodgers are just good, you said. Yeah, they know how to evaluate talent. And if their front office was making that decision, I'd be all on Syndergaard board with it. Syndergaard sucks. He does. And that's the type of... In fact, they might sign Noah Syndergaard and say he's a number three for he us. He doesn't have swing and miss. He doesn't belong here. Yeah. So here's my here's my one thing. Can we get away from the geriatrics? Thank you. Like, damn it, Tanner. I'm not even saying that it's like the worst thing in the world. My dog's even mad about it. My dog's trying to get James Paxton over here. So this is the thing, like, I don't even necessarily have an issue with James Paxton. In theory. If that's like your your lowest move, he's going to be your five starter next year. Fine. Fine. No problem. That's what I've been saying. No, but he's not going to be their five. They're going to sign him to be their three. And here's the issue. So you need like three additions to this rotation, I think. And some You've got Michaelis, you've got Matts, and then you've got guys like Libertor and McGreevy and Graceffo that may- maybe those guys end up competing for that fifth spot. That's it. You need three other spots to be filled. And so if you go out there and you sign a Nola, Snell, Rodriguez, Giolito, one of those guys that could legitimately at least masquerade as a number one starter in Major League Baseball. You basically have no money left to go out there and fill out the number two or the number four starter. So now you've got to go out there and probably trade for that number two starter on a cost-controlled deal where he's making very little money. And then maybe you have $10 million left for, you know, the Paxton, Lynn, Heaney, Cobbs of the world. And that's where maybe it could work, but you got to get aggressive to get that that number two starter. And this is where I think the deadline comes in, guys. I think the Cardinals have to acquire somebody at this trade deadline that you can pencil in as a number two or three starter going into next year. Logan Gilbert. I don't know who that player is. And frankly, I don't even care who it is. But when we see the trade, it needs to feel like it did after I saw that they traded for Jordan Montgomery last year. Where it's like, oh... This is a better deal than I expected them to be able to get. Like Jordan Montgomery is a really good starting pitcher in Major League Baseball and has been consistent for years for the Yankees. And then as I looked more and more into it, I was like, man, if I was going to be happy with Tyler Malley, I need to be really excited about the fact that they got Jordan Montgomery because he's basically Tyler Malley but left-handed. And so that's kind of how I feel going into this trade deadline, Alex, is you don't need to get an ace. I'm not going to require that. But they need to come out of this with somebody that you can pitch or throw into your rotation that is cost-controlled going into next year that can conceivably be a number two or three starter for you going into that series. They need to they need to start at some point in the opening series of the season next year. That's why, for me, when, I, when we talked about ideal off-seasons, the first task needs to be getting somebody who is right there with Miles Michaelis at a cost-controlled deal. I'm thinking $10 million or less to fill into that spot who you've got control over for the next couple of years. I don't know what Logan Gilbert's do next season. He's just been the guy that I've isolated as the one I like the most. He and Michaelis starts your offseason. And in that sense, you're talking about $35 million maybe going into the offseason. 
to isolate the ace and then the back end piece of it. And then some depth. The depth isn't going to cost you a whole lot. You could find some guys before the season begins to throw into those. You find somebody who can fit into that four. Maybe it is your guy, James Paxson, if he's willing to go cheap. Somebody around that frame. But if you get and target the guy that fills that 2-3, Logan Gilbert-esque, then if you really want to be aggressive and make this a competitive window... You spend $30 million on a Blake Snell or an Aaron Nola and have a Nola, Michaelis, Gilbert, one, two, three. I'll fill out the rest because I trust those three to take control of that rotation for years to come. Here's the other question that I have as a follow-up to that, Alex, and this gets back into the, the money discussion, right? Do you think there's any way that the Cardinals can sell you on the rotation going into 2024? I'm just curious here. And T-Bone, I want your thoughts on this as well. Without adding one of Blake Snell, Aaron Nola, Eduardo Rodriguez, Lucas Giolito. Do do one of those four players, because those are the top starting pitchers on the market this offseason, do one of those four need to be on the Cardinals in 2024 in order for you to truly believe that they upgraded this rotation? Yeah. For me, yes, they do. Because if you're changing your mindset on the pitching staff... It's going away from this middle-of-the-pack guys who, if they live up to the expectations that we hope they can accomplish, if you squint hard enough, they can be a top-end guy. I think you need to go get some names and put them in that position so that you have that hype around it. And if it doesn't pan out, then great. You took a high risk and it didn't work out. But yeah, for me, if you want to sell me on we are making a run for 2024 and we are significantly overhauling our rotation, one of those names has to be a part of it this offseason. Yeah, I, I I find myself kind of torn on that. I, I guess Paxton. I would say no. No, it's not to I – I mean, I want Paxton as like a five. I don't want him in as like a number two. But I, I think right now they're not in at a point where they need to make such a significant step to compete for the World Series. I think their first step is going to be competing in the National League Central. But don't, don't you and need that's to why I don't think you need an ace to do that. But don't you need to try and win sooner rather than later with Goldie and Arenado? I mean, I – Yes, but I, I just don't know if they can fix everything in one offseason. That's why I look at the ace and say, all right, do I stretch ourselves and potentially be thin again for an offseason because we spent so much money on one of those top four names that BK just said? Like, I think that the ace may not happen this year. I think it could be two years before they get that. And I also think they could just be banking on Tink Hens to be ready in two years to start showing signs of becoming that arm. So I, I guess I would probably say... No, because I think they can really retool the pitching staff to get back to the playoffs without having to sign an ace. But then again, that just limits the ceiling of what you're doing. And I guess it just depends on what you're saying the goal is in 24. Is it to win the World Series or is it to get back into the playoff picture? If you're bringing back Goldie and Arenado, the goal is to try to contend for a World Series next year. And they're bringing back Goldie and Arenado. So I think my answer is yes. They need to sign one of these guys. And if they don't, Either that means they traded for a guy that I didn't foresee being available, or they failed. Like, it's it, it really is that simple to me. Because if you don't have somebody that is at this level, Nola, Snell, Rodriguez, Giolito, then what are we doing here? Like, all you're doing is just changing the names and changing the chairs on the Titanic. Because if you come in, and not you guys know I like Sonny Gray. If you come in with Sonny Gray as your opening day starter next year, or Miles Michaelis as your opening day starter next year, you cannot convince me, or Alex, or T-Bone, or any of you in the listening audience right now, that the rotation had the necessary upgrades in place going into 2023. It could be different. Maybe you made it a little, like, you, you upgraded the swing and miss, right? If they added 
Sonny Gray, James Paxton, and Lance Lynn to this rotation going into next year. You have more swing and miss next year than you had this year. I don't think you're significantly improved. I think Sonny Gray is basically the equivalent of Jack Flaherty. I think in this scenario, Paxton would be worse than what you had in Jordan Montgomery. And then Lance Lynn is, you're hoping, better than what you got this season out of Adam Wainwright. Is that really significantly upgrading, though? I I think my answer would be no. So I think you need to get one of that top-tier group of pitchers in order for next season, any of us, to be convinced that the Cardinals are actually making the necessary moves to upgrade this rotation. Real quick, PK, if you're clamoring as a front office that we need to change our mindset, change our model, and be aggressive pitching, 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 you can't be the same offseason team every year where you're just going in the middle of the pack and hoping for somebody to be better than what he actually is. You need to be amongst the top teams. You need to exit that offseason with an A next to your report card, and frankly, they haven't done that for a lot of years. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. Tanner has low standards. He is settling for mediocrity on the rotation next year. I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, 314-399-9646. Miss you, buddy. Better to forget it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Train Heating and Cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. is the Air Comfort Service X line for Bet It or Forget It. Guys, let's start with this. It's very simple. Bet It or Forget It, Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill are both traded by the deadline. Bet it. Oh, we didn't even do that on purpose. Yeah, we did. Nice. Yeah, we did. We spent too much time together. You have to move both of them. I mean, Tyler O'Neill, you can't sit here. If you exit the trade deadline on August 1st and have Tyler O'Neill on your roster still, as an organization, I don't know what the hell you're trying to accomplish right now. My assumption is the paperwork got lost in transit from (laughs) St. Louis to the commissioner's office. Yeah, his uh, work visa didn't carry over or whatever it needed to be. But you're going to have to move on from both of them. And uh, obviously, you're going to have to be aggressive at this deadline. So, yeah, I'll say both are gone. I'll I'll bet it, too. I, I think they're... The Cardinals are done with those guys, and I, I've believed that ever since we talked to Mo in like June. I, I think they see Carlson as a piece that is a a good ball player, but doesn't have a prominent role on this team that can hit right-handed pitching. And they see that across Major League Baseball, people value him, so they can get a good piece in return for him. And I think with Tyler O'Neill, I just think the writing's been on the wall. I think they're tired of dealing with him being inconsistent at the plate and inconsistent in terms of availability. So I, I think they're ready to move on from both. So I'll bet this. I will give the Cardinals, they don't deserve this, but I will give them some credit in this way. They are making decisions. They have decided, now you can disagree with it, and I think that's entirely fair. This is one place where I will open it up to the audience. Like, if you disagree with their decision to go with Lars Nupar and Jordan Walker in the corners over Dylan Carlson, for example, that's fair. We can have a discussion about it. I think they're right, but I I understand that there's at least some leeway that you could go either direction there. They have decided that they are building around Walker and Newt Bar in the corner outfield. And so I I think that there is no doubt that they will absolutely be trading 
both O'Neal and Carlson by the trade deadline. I, I'm betting this 100%. I'm going all in, in fact. I would be shocked if those guys are not moved. Alex, what do you got? So here's one that we haven't brought up, guys, on the free agent side of things. Bet it or forget it, the big free agent signing for the Cardinals this offseason is going to come from somebody who is playing overseas. Ooh, I like this one. Have you guys seen this pitcher that they're potentially connected with yeah, in Japan? Y- Yamamoto, is that his name? I maybe I didn't want to try See to pronounce the one that was at the WBC yeah, and threw like yeah. 110 miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Why well, I'll bet this. Why not? They seem to love signing pitchers that were over in in the Japanese league. Now this is different though. And this this is not like out? a Drew Verhagen. This is not like a, a major leaguer that had to go over to Japan oh, because well, they failed it. in the majors. <laughs> Yeah, it's a superstar. This this guy is a stud. He's 24 years old. He has a 1.6 ERA Mm. this year for his team over there. Uh, In 100 innings, he is striking out 10 batters per nine innings. He has allowed a total of 18 runs. Damn. He's a stud. I like his name, too. Yoshinobu. I'll forget this because those guy, those players like him typically like to stay on the coast when they come over here. Uh, that, that's the whole thing with We're Otani. We're to the west, man. Well, you know, you need to be the west uh, to have All a shot. All you got to do so is fly through the arch I, and you're headed to the coast. I, I would forget this one. I though, Just because those guys typically, not all the time, but typically like to stay on a coast. Like Otani wanted to be out west. Sanga wanted to be out east. Like It's just going to be tough to lure that guy in. Don't be surprised if the Cardinals are connected. That's to why him, you're though. keeping Lars Nupar to find a way to lure some of these guys to St. Louis. I'm By the way, I, ju- just for what it's worth, he would fit into the criteria that we were talking about in the last segment. Like, you could add him to that list with Nola and Snell and all those guys. He you'd would be, be a legit number one Yeah, starter. you'd be bringing him in as your ace. And Right. I, I could see I'm forgetting happening. it. I don't think they'll do it, but I, I would love to see it. I think that would be a great signing. I'll bet it. What the hell? I'm optimistic these days. I like the way you think. Uh, guys, bet it or forget it. The Cardinals will trade one of their top prospects that's not on the 40-man roster at this year's trade deadline. One of the top pro- – so who would fit into this criteria? Mason Wynn. Wynn technically McGreevy. fits into this. McGreevy, Hintz, Victor Scott. Anybody that's not – I mean, most of their prospects aren't right. on the 40-man. The only one I wanted to like make <laughs> sure that say, wasn't included was like Gorman and Walker. As you say, they don't put prospects sure on 40-man roster lists. Yeah, so – I'm going to bet this one. I, I – I, if they're selling us on being aggressive and pitching, pitching, pitching and uber different, you have to trade one of these guys. And if all of these pitchers are mid-tier in your eyes and other people are excited about them, you've got to move them. I, I would lean more towards the pitchers than the Mason wins or the Victor Scotts, but I'm going to bet this one because I think you have to at this trade deadline. I don't think so. I'm going to forget it. I, I think that they end up keeping these guys. I think we see Michael McGreevy pitch for the Cardinals at the end of this season. I think he ends up in the big leagues for the team, even though I'm not sure that he's ready for that. Um, I think at some point they're going to have to give him. If they end up trading guys that are like quote unquote prospects, I think it's like a Von Herrera or players in that lane, like a Lucan Baker, Juan Yepes, the guys that are kind of clogging the 40 man that don't really have a future role here in St. Louis. So I'm going to say I'm forgetting it. I don't think they're going to trade some of their prospects. I think they're trying to filter through the current major league roster more than their minor league system. I I would bet this because I think they may have to include like one if they're going to be that aggressive that we're talking about. Like both. I I can't remember. I think it was last week when you were out, BK. We were talking about Logan uh, Gilbert in Seattle and I think John Morosi had said, like, it's not just going to be, or maybe it was Keith Waltos, it's yeah, not it just going to be a one-for-one swap of, hey, we give you a bunch of control and a 
left-handed power bat and Nolan Gorman and we get this pitcher. No, it's going to take even more than that. It's going to take significant assets if you want to gain someone that has control. I disagree with him. So I I will bet this. I don't think it's going to be like they have to give up like three prospects and a player at the major league level. I can see like a package of, for example, Gorman and include either McGreevy or Graceffo, and those two can help get the deal done. So I, I do think they will move one of those prospects, and that would be about it, just one. I'm not saying they're selling like four pieces that are in their minor league system. I think they may have to include one in some package if they're going to get a controllable arm. I disagree with him, by the way. Um, Luis Arise was traded this past offseason. Now, he is a very unique player, right? He was the guy that won the batting title last year for the Minnesota Twins, but he went to the the Marlins in return for Pablo Lopez, who had a couple of years of control remaining on his deal. That's where I think that the comparison is for uh, Logan Gilbert or somebody like that. I, I think those guys could be traded for a position player plus like a little bit something else. 314-399-3776. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Bet or Forget It. Guys, a couple of quickies here. Bet or Forget It, Steven Matz is in the Cardinals rotation at the opening day of next year. Bet it because that's how the Cardinals spend less money in free agency. And yeah. they'll say, hey, technically we've got a rejuvenated Steven Matz from the second half and he's making $11 million. So that's like we just spent $11 million on a free agent. I like the way you're thinking, Mo Jr. Yes, I sir. would agree. Is I, that right? I would bet it. I would. I. That's cute. I, I think <laughs> I think that Matz will be back in the rotation next year. I, as long as you continue to see some signs that he's improved since coming back to the rotation. Second outing wasn't as good. First outing was great against the White Sox. I, I just find it hard to believe that he's not going to be in the rotation because then you got to add four arms. Sweep it. Totally agree. Better to forget it. Last one. City SC wins the Western Conference in their first year in MLS. Forget it. This is amazing what they're doing, dude. This is absolutely incredible. I, I, while, while T-Bone just said forget yeah. it. <laughs> I, I'm going to forget it, but I think they're a top three team. I said this, I think it was last week after their loss to LA. I think they're in that top tier teams in the West. But they've shown right now they're just a step below Seattle and LAFC where they've competed with them. And then once they allow that first goal, the floodgates open and they've lost three nothing to both teams. So I is that still the case when they're healthy, though? I think so, because for the most part, they were now it was questionable, like starting 11 throughout there against LAFC on last Wednesday. Yeah, they weren't healthy for that game at all. I still think so, though. I, I think they're a step below those teams, even when they are completely healthy. Yeah. I think I'm going to forget this one just because you play LAFC and you play Seattle one more time before the end of the season. And that's hoping that city has success leading up to that point and LA struggles. And I think those two matches are going to be the difference maker in terms of that top. I still think they're probably a two seed in the standings, but I don't know if they'll win it. So I'm going to say, forget it. Uh, I'm going to say bet it. I, I think this is a really good team, man. And they're getting closer, finally, to getting Klaus back. Leuven is finally getting to the on the doorstep of being healthy during this break. I would assume that when they get back, uh, he'll be a guy that is ready to go for a full game instead of coming in for the last 20, 30 minutes of him. Uh, I, I think City's legit, man. T-Bone, are you going to that Club America game? I, I was thinking about it. I'm not 100% sure if I'm going to be able to make it yet, but I, I think it's going to be fun to see how they play against them. That is one of those games that if you have an opportunity to get out to City Park for that, that'll be worth the price of admission. Um, one last thing here. What am I supposed to do with this cup thing that they're doing? Uh, to be completely honest, I don't know. Because, like, 
they used the U.S. Open Cup as a, um, what would you call it, trial period for guys. Like, they played the backup goalie in it, didn't play their full starting 11 in it. I'm very interested to know. How, I don't know how they're going to view it. I don't know if they're going to view this as, like, hey, we really want to show the world that we're better than these Mexican clubs and try and win this, or if all these teams are just going to use this as they did the U.S. Open Cup. I, I truly don't know how to, like, read into this. They get a lot of money, right, the winner? Yeah, but, like, you get a lot of money, some money, if you win the U.S. Open Cup, and that didn't stop them from throwing out, you know, the backup okay. goalie, who I still don't know his name. In-season tournaments are just so odd to me. Yeah, that's why I hate I the never NBA. know what to make of them. Like, the NBA is doing this next year, and I, I don't know how teams are going to handle it, and it's the same thing for MLS. Like, I... Alex, was there something about this for NHL? Did I see some uh, some uh, kind of reporting? That- no, people were talking about how unpopular it would be in the NHL if they did it. Because look at the Olympics, and they stopped doing it, and now they're arguing to bring it back, and they wanted to do like the World Cup for hockey again in the in in season. I, I think what you saw is what I saw: people just complaining how unpopular it would be if it were to be a thing. I can tell you now: baseball goes to an in-season tournament. I'm retiring and I'm done covering sports because the in-season yeah, tournaments are stupid. It. I mean, don't no get me wrong. Baseball, I, I enjoy me a, a two or three week off, like when the Olympics come around in the NHL. It's very nice. Yeah, the but... Olympics are like playing for something that matters, supporting your country, well, winning this money is... for your for your city doesn't matter. It's not yeah. for your city; it's for the club, I, which like, I... is in your city. Yeah, whatever. This, these whole in season tournaments are dumb. All right, you know what? Tanner doesn't like it, so I'm all on board. Let's do in season tournaments. T Bone, this is offici- or this is sanctioned by Concacaf. Should I be expecting horrible officiating, just as I do with the Concacaf? Game. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. cool, 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 cool. Yeah, you're right on. Nice. Awesome. So they very, really very don't great. matter. Coming up next, the Cardinals are starting to sh- show some signs of cracks with their support of Wilson Contreras. I pushed back against that notion yesterday, and then I heard John Mosellock speak. Starting to lean a little bit more in T-Bone's direction. We'll discuss it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, so yesterday T-Bone brought up the idea that the Cardinals go to more of a timeshare with their catching situation than what they're doing right now. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Taylor Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie, John Mosellock. Gave a little bit more oxygen to that notion yesterday when he said this about his catching situation in 2024. Yeah, I think we'll table that till the offseason. Um, you know, obviously, uh, when we look back at it in the short term now, there's some things that, that need to change. Short view is kind of nice, what we're seeing at Ale Carrera right now, which is good. But, um, you know, ultimately, I, I think when we start thinking about 2024, some of those things will have to be more addressed in the offseason. Hmm. Okay. So, Alex, when I heard him ask that question, I thought the answer would be pretty simple. Listen, when we signed Wilson Contreras in the offseason, we knew there was likely to be some growing pains because we go about things a little bit differently with our catchers. That being said, while it was a rocky start to the season, we have liked the way that he has developed here with us. There will continue to be more time for him to develop behind the plate, but we're very pleased with the way that his bat has come along, and we think that we are primed for a big season in 2024 with Wilson Contreras. We like the signing when we made it, and we like it every bit as much today as we uh, did at the day that that deal was signed. That is not what he said. At all. 
Nothing about what he said was a sign of encouragement for Cardinals fans in relation to Wilson Contreras, the catcher. When you heard that, Alex, your reaction was what? Surprised, because I did expect a lot more backing of Wilson Contreras for John Moselock than what they did, but... I mean, he's being brutally honest, which is what people have been clamoring for. And look, he's not wrong. Wilson Contreras has not lived up to what they were hoping for. And I would imagine you are going to have to reevaluate things. But when I heard him say reevaluate, and maybe this is just me reading between the lines, reevaluating how he approaches his starts. And they obviously weren't happy with it when they took him off the catching position and then put him back there 10 days later and figured all was well. Obviously, it's going to need more help in the offseason. I don't believe this is him stating like, oh, yeah, we made a mistake. and We're moving on from Wilson Contreras as our everyday catcher because you don't have an everyday catcher. We can all sit here and love Yvonne Herrera. To me, Yvonne Herrera is going to be traded. And if he's not traded, it's not going to be a, oh, you're an everyday catcher while Wilson Contreras becomes a backup and then the DH it's going to be a next year thing. And if it continues to go in this direction where you have an entire off season of knowing you're a Cardinals catcher, knowing who your pitching staff is, hopefully you'll know who your pitching staff is by then. And then approaching it. If the problem persists, then we got a bigger issue. But I, I was surprised by his response, but I don't know if I was to the point where I'm thinking, oh, they're done with Wilson Contreras. Yeah, I, I don't think they're done just yet, but I, I think that they are really questioning this signing, and I think it is going to be a 50-50 split if Herrera continues to play well with him going into next year. And then after next year is when we start to have the conversations about the contract and how really they get out of it. Yvonne Herrera is going to be here beyond this season. I think there's a chance. I think he's got much higher upside than Andrew Kisner, and if he continues to play well, I don't, I don't want to say he becomes untouchable because I think you listen to any offers that you may have to include him in a package for but I think there's a definite chance they clearly misevaluated Yvonne Herrera this past offseason and thought he was a guy that was too far away from the majors and again I don't think he was ready to be an everyday catcher but he definitely looks like a guy that could have been up here for a 50-50 split with someone like an Andrew Kisner or a Sean Murphy if they brought him but if Murphy comes in it's not a 50-50 split I, I think when they look at the Contreras deal I think what Mo just told you there in my reading between the lines was yeah we don't think his game preparation is much better and that is something that we're going to work on in the offseason. And if that gets better, look, we can then then can handle the defensive issues and hopefully those will improve as well. But I think they are really regretting the signing of Wilson Contreras. And I, I otherwise, to BK's point, he would not have come out and said what he said yesterday. It would have been more of the route of what BK said and kind of defended Contreras. And also along the lines of, look, and this was us kind of speculating when that interview came out on Fox 2. He said, you know, there are decisions in the offseason that we wish we could take back. I think Contreras falls into that decision-making. That's what I said all along. I, I do truly believe that. I think they are looking at this Contreras deal going, if we're going to get back to our roots, yes, we need to upgrade our pitching. But we have to get back to a good defensive ball club. And you know who's not good defensively? Wilson Contreras. He is not good defensively for St. Louis behind the plate. So I, I think they're not giving up on the deal yet. But I think there are some red alarms going off in that front office going, Boy, this may have been a massive mistake for us in this signing of Wilson Contreras. So, can we talk about that? Because Wilson Contreras has been exactly the player they signed him to be. Exactly the player. Like, I don't think that there's any reason to be disappointed with who Wilson Contreras has been this season. Now, that is not to suggest, I want to be very clear here, that Wilson Contreras has been a perfect player. Or that Wilson Contreras has been, 
you know, up to the standard of what Yadier Molina is defensively. He certainly has not been. He's been a below average defensive catcher so far this season. And if you're looking at some of the metrics, like the blocking, for example, he's been even worse than he was in previous years. But it has been a continual trend for him in that direction. He is now basically where he was last year with the Cubs in terms of what he did behind the plate blocking. Guys, this is who they signed. A pretty solid hitting catcher who I think got a little overrated as a hitter during the offseason, but he is back now after his hot stretch to basically being at his career norms offensively. And then behind the plate, he's a liability, which we knew. He's a career two over the last three seasons, 240 hitter, gets on base about 34% of the time, and averages about 20 home runs per year. You know what he's on pace to do this year? 240 hitter. 34% on base percentage, and he was a little slow in terms of his early season home run numbers, but he's on pace for like 18 home runs this season. I, I don't know what people were expecting with Wilson Contreras, Alex. What, what what am I missing here? This is who they signed him to be, right? That's what I don't understand. The frustration comes in with, with Wilson Contreras. Like we, we said on the air when the signing took place, he is not going to be Yadier Molina. But yet, of course, people look at it and say, oh, well, he's not Yadier Molina. And look, you don't even need a Yadi. He's been bad defensively. There's no question. But I think people just expectations were, oh, his offense is going to outmatch his defense. And the offense hasn't been there. But for me, but that's... the offense is what he's been. This is not this is not a surprise. His now, offense but, this year is exactly what he has been the last couple of seasons. Right, but I feel like the the frustration with Wilson Contreras has come for the first couple of months where he was non-existent and you thought he was going to be that contributing bat. But I also look at this season as, man, there has been a lot thrown at this guy and it just has not worked out in every situation for him. So now you're starting to see a little bit more of what Wilson Contreras is, which is fine for me. I, and I, I just really think the expectations came down to people – People heard that he's not going to be Yadier Molina, but just assumed he's a Cardinals catcher, so he's going to be great defensively. And he's not, and people need to be okay with that. Somebody on the text line said this from the 317. Guys, Contreras is absolutely a disappointment. He's been a waste of money so far. Horrible defensively, and the offense is way worse than he was paid to be. Trade him as soon as possible. Oh, my God. I'm I'm really sorry, guys. And, like, I... If you're disappointed by his defense, I understand it because we didn't watch it every day, and so it was hard to get a grasp on like what a liability he is behind the plate. He is not a good defensive catcher. You can see already the upgrade that you're getting from Yvonne Herrera to what Wilson Contreras was. But offensively, guys, go look up his baseball reference page. Go look up any of the rate statistics from him this year. Not just the overall numbers, but the rate statistics. So batting average, on base, slugging, strikeout rate, walk rate, all of those different things. Even the expected numbers, if you're more into the nerdy numbers, or if you just want to get the actual, whatever it is. He is the same player this year that he has been on average over the last three seasons that he was in Chicago. Here's... Here's where I come down with that. And I understand that the frustration is there because, of course, Sean Murphy's performing incredibly right now. And everyone's like, oh, you should have just got Sean Murphy. Go down the list of every other catcher that was available. And Christian Vasquez was the next available catcher in terms of the amount of money that was paid and who that was connected to the Cardinals. He's hitting 218 right now with a 582 OPS. You're going to be cool with Christian Vasquez if his defense is slightly better than Wilson Contreras. What about I mean, Ohm? it's a lot better? Oh, okay, fine, but I'd, <laughs> I'd much rather have this with the offense than a two eighteen hitter. You've got that in Andrew Kisner. 
Omar Narvaez, is that making anybody happier? Tucker Barnhart, T-Bone's wishing. Mike Zanino. He's not been very good. And then you go over to Toronto, the Danny Jansen, the um, Kirk side. Like, the only other option, and the reason that this is so hard for people right now, is because Sean Murphy is unbelievable in Atlanta. But guess what? Sean Murphy might not have been that in St. Louis, because guess what Atlanta has? Better pitching than you. Yeah, I I think with the Cardinals in the Wilson Contreras front, I I think the way they're gonna the way they looked at it in terms of his defense was I think they just fell for a good job interview. And I know we've talked about this when he got pulled from behind the plate. I think they knew he was bad defensively. I think they also truly bought into what he told them and said, "Hey, I I will work on this and I will get better." And I think when they when they heard that, I think they said, "Okay, if he can be average behind the plate, then this is a win for us because he's been better defensively." Our pitching is going to hold up, and he's going to bring some more pop to our lineup and bat fifth for us or fourth, wherever it was. He was hitting lead on opening day, and it just has not worked out. And I think they they want to get back to the fundamentals of being a defensive sound team. And if they want to do that, then Contreras is just not the guy. And I I understand like okay, well then they there was no better option. I, I get it. I, I just think now they're looking at it and going, man, we committed too much to this guy that is not going to help us out in terms of defensively. And I think they truly want to get back more to the Yachty-esque. Not Yachty or Molina defensively, because you're never going to get that again probably at that position here in St. Louis for a long time. But can he get closer to it? And I think Carrera is closer to it. And I think this also comes down to their misevaluation of what they had in Herrera. Because I remember last year, Herrera was essentially Contreras minus the offense when he was up here in that small sample size. The reason he got sent down was why? Lack of preparation, and he was not a good game caller, and his framing was bad. And he's improved all three aspects of that. Can they do that with Wilson Contreras? That's the question they have to ask this offseason. Can I be honest? I think we're all just enamored with a short sample size of Yvonne Herrera. I think long-term no, I, of Yvonne Herrera, we're going to be saying the same thing. No, he, he's better. He, like he, He's a better defender than yeah, Wilson Yeah, I don't know Contreras if his bat is. will continue, but I do think he is better defensively. Yeah, I the, the bat though I I am very skeptical of long term. So but then the, isn't the, he Andrew Kisner then? If you got good defense but no bat, I don't know. The upside might be better, but it, that's something worth remaining to be seen. Um, I I just think that the, the the Cardinals organization, if they expected differently than this from Wilson Contreras, that's on them. That that is not a Wilson Contreras problem because he has been exactly what they paid him to be. And now they want something different. They have buyer's remorse. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for The Athletic here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fast world of pro hockey, here we go. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Very happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Jeremy Rutherford, the Blues Insider for The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter, of course, at JP Rutherford. JR, appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? Doing real well. Not used to saying this in July, but I'm actually at a rink. My son uh, has practiced over here at Afton today, so I just stepped outside the rink to chat with you guys and BK, congratulations, buddy. I know I said it to you in a text, but uh, soak it up. That's the best part of life there with that little one. Thank you, man. It's been uh, it's been an adventure already, to say the least, a whirlwind, and uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. We're, we're enjoying uh, the early days of of parenthood over here in the Casa de Kylie. Um, Jr., <laughs> let's let's start out with this. We talked about it a little bit earlier today. 
the Ross Colton deal was made official yesterday with the Colorado Avalanche. He ended up going there, of course, for people that don't remember. He's the uh, the centerman from Tampa Bay, was traded to Colorado for the number 37 overall pick. He was eligible for arbitration. He instead gets a four-year deal worth $4 million per season, which is pretty comparable to the deal, money-wise at least, that Kevin Hayes has here with the Blues. When you look back at the Blues' decision to go with Kevin Hayes in that trade, uh, do you prefer giving up that sixth-round pick for Kevin Hayes as opposed to giving up maybe number 29 for Ross Colton? Yeah, I think for sure. I think you look at a uh, sixth-round pick, not too many of them make it. I can think of one off the top of my head, maybe two, actually. Sammy Blay is one. I think Roman Polak was another one, just talking about Blues' sixth-round draft picks here. Uh, but you bring in a guy in Hayes who has uh, a lot of credibility in the league, and you get him at 50%, which I thought was a shrewd move by Doug Armstrong. And not that Ross Colton isn't going to be motivated going to Colorado on that deal four times four, uh, but uh, talking to Hayes, he's a proud guy. He's going to want to bounce back and show Philadelphia they let go of a really good player. Uh, plus, he brings you some size. I think Alex talked about that earlier in the show. Some big size here with uh, Kevin Hayes. So I like the way Doug Armstrong handled that situation. Jared, do you believe special teams improved this offseason with the roster moves? Yeah, but I guess it remains to be seen. Uh, you know, we talked last year to Craig Bruby about was it scheme, was it was it talent, you know, what was it? Uh, the Blues lost a lot of guys who played on the PK, as, as you guys well know. You lost a, a Bo Meester a couple years ago. You lose a Petrangelo. You lose a, a, a uh, Oscar Sundquist, a Ryan O'Reilly. They lost a lot of grit on those special teams and, and then talent on the power play, too. So, you know, did they get better? Yeah, I think so when you talk about a couple of the guys that they brought in. Uh, but I don't know to the point where you can look at this unit and say these are top 10 units in the league. I think it's going to be a situation where they're going to have to come in, especially with uh, the new coach, Coach Weber, coming in on the PK, and then see what some of these guys have left. You look at Oscar Sundquist, you know, I'm as excited as anybody about Oscar Sundquist coming back. He's fun to cover, but health-wise, you know, how does he look and, and also some of the other guys coming back. You mentioned Sonny there, JR. What are your reasonable expectations for this fourth line with him being the center on it? Yeah, I just was actually trying to map that out in case we talked about it. You know, what could it look like here? A couple of weeks ago, you're looking at like a Nathan Walker, uh, potentially, you know, even a Jake Neighbors on the fourth line if he's not up to snuff. You know, if he's not, he'd probably go to Springfield. Uh, but where do you put him? Because they're pretty deep when you look at uh, the top nine. And when I say deep, you know, I'm not talking about Stanley Cup contenders. I'm just talking about guys who slot into those top nine spots. Uh, so now you look at it after you get Torpchenko in the fold, which you expected. You bring in Sunquist. Can he be your opening night center? We'll see what he looks like in camp. And then what happens with neighbors? Does he play his way up to the second line next to, next to Braden Shen? Is he third line next to Hayes? Or does he fall down to that fourth line? Uh, but I think if we sit here in July and try to picture what this could look like, you know, you're looking at Torpchenko, you're looking at Sunquist or Walker, and you're looking at potentially – Sammy Blay, who, you know, I just think there's so much skill and grit there. I can't imagine him getting 10, 11, 12 minutes of ice time. I think he's going to have probably a bigger role. But if that is the fourth line, those last three names that I rattled off, that would be pretty interesting. Could you see a situation, Jared, where maybe you see that ice time grow for the fourth line since Craig Berube, if it is a Blay, Sonny, and Torpchenko, three guys that Craig Berube feels confident in when they're on the ice? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, but it's kind of throughout the course of the season, as you know, Alex, uh, you know, it'll go up and down. I mean, I don't think that you can look at ice time over the course of a month or two, and it's going to be pretty similar within a minute, minute and a half. So 
you know, I think there's going to be some nights where if, if that's the group that they could be at 12, 13 minutes, you know, I think there's nights where they could be less than that, of course. Uh, but even if they're rolling well, you know, you're not talking about a fourth line getting 15 minutes of ice time. So, you know, obviously they're not involved in the uh, special team. So we're just talking uh, in terms of power play. So we're just talking five on five with a lot of those guys. Uh, but I could just see these guys, the ones we're talking about, kind of in that 12 to 13 minute range if things are humming pretty good. Jeremy Rutherford is our guest here on 101 ESPN. You can find his work over at The Athletic and, of course, follow him on Twitter at J.P. Rutherford. Uh, J.R., I was reading over on The Athletic, by the way, earlier today. They had a piece on Brett Pesci, the potential trade destinations for him, the five teams that should be interested. Of course, the Blues were not on that list of teams uh, that are likely to acquire uh, Brett Pesci from the Carolina Hurricanes. If he is officially made available, J.R., do you think that the Blues would at least inquire on such a move? Well, two things. If he's available, uh, that's a big if. Sure. Uh, I read the piece, too, and, and he could be. Uh, secondly, i got to put it with this disclaimer. You know, I was asked about Justin Falk and him being available in Carolina. Would he be a fit for the Blues and with Alex Petrangelo and Colton Preco? I didn't think that was a possibility, but <laughs> that came out of left field. So, you know, to say no to, to Pesci, you know, Doug Armstrong's proven in the past he can slide one past us. So, uh, yeah, would he fit in this group? Of course he would. But I think that right now you're looking at eight one-way contracts. You're looking at a ninth, Callie Rosen, who's not even you know, projected to be on, on, on the roster unless he just shows up and, and takes one of those top spots in camp. And, you know, could you swap out a guy? You know, I suppose you could. Uh, but who's going to move? Who's going to waive that no-trade clause to go? I still think, you know, as we've spoken about in the past few weeks and, and months here, that, uh, you know, which one of those guys is going to okay uh, to, to move. So I just don't know who it is at this point. And to me, when you look at the situation, it, too, it looks too congested to project a Pesci trade to St. Louis. JR uh, was reading Scott Wheeler's piece, kind of ranking the top 50 prospects right now in hockey under the age of 23. And of course have not played a full season at the NHL level. He had Dvorsky at 16 and Snuggerud at 23. And then honorable mentions were Bolduc and Dean. Is this the best? When was the last time that you can remember this, this highly touted prospect pool for the blues? It hasn't been. It just hasn't been. And, you know, when I say that, I go back to 2005, and, of course, you had the Eric Johnsons, the David Perrons, the TJ Oshies, the Patrick Berglunds, but I don't even think at that point uh, you had anybody just uh, looking at that Blues uh, group of, of prospects and saying that's the top five in, in the NHL right now. And, you know, I guess also to throw this out there, you know, I don't think that we had the heavy analysis like we do with the athletic rankings of these yeah. of these groups, Scott Wheeler and, and Corey Priman do a terrific job with it. So to be honest, I go back to 2005, 2008. I didn't have a great handle on how the blues prospect pool compared to a lot of them around the league. But I can say this ever since I've been covering the team, this is the best it's been. You look at this past draft class, sure. Nine selections, but a lot of these top, you know, first round, second, you know, third round type guys are guys that the, the scouting gurus like Scott Wheeler really like. And, so yeah, I got to say that uh, every year when I tweet out the rankings that Scott and Corey put out, I always feel bad because I know when I put it out, the Blues fans are going to be saying, oh, we have nothing to look forward to. Well, guess what? Now I can tweet this thing out and everybody's excited about it. Actually, uh, draw some attention when I when I tweet this out. So I thought it was a, it was a good list. You got Dvorsky, as you said, there at 16. You got Snuggerud. I was wondering if Bolduc could make that top 50. He comes in at an honorable mention. 
But you got to like all the honorable mentions on there with the four of them, with Dean, Bolduke, Neighbors, and Stenberg. That's that's a, quite a group. I didn't have time to add them up and see what that number compares to the rest of the league, but it's got to be pretty high. Yeah. Final question that I've got for Jeremy Rutherford. And again, you can find his work over at The Athletic. We've already referenced multiple pieces that were posted just over the last couple of days over there. This is another one, JR. Uh, They went through and they talked to all of their different NHL writers about uh, some of the categories going into the season. So which team's going to have the fewest points? Who's going to be the President Trophy winner? Stuff like that, right? Kind of looking through the superlatives for 2023-24. And one of the questions that they asked you guys is, who's going to be the first coach fired? DJ Smith with the Ottawa Senators got the most votes with 45%. Craig Berube was second. 19% of the responses said he would be the first coach fired in 2023. Jer, my question coming off of that is this. How do you think Craig Berube is going to be evaluated by the front office this year, given the fact that we know this is not a team that is competing for a Stanley Cup? So how do you think he's going to be evaluated with his performance? Yeah, it's a perfectly fair question. You know, that one did catch my attention. I think I voted for uh, DJ Smith there. Uh, Craig Berube, you know, just boots on the ground here in St. Louis. I don't think that he's in that conversation. I think to answer your question, BK, it comes down to one of the words that you used in your question phrasing, and that's competing. Uh, I think that if if the Blues compete, I think that uh, Doug Armstrong, everybody knows ownership, that this is a retool, and it's probably – going to look okay at times and not at other times. The Blues are going to take their lumps. But I think what Doug Armstrong has done here, tried to keep the roster competitive, bringing in a Kevin Hayes, you know, bringing in a couple guys to to make sure that this team can keep winning, there is going to be some pressure on Craig Bruby. But you're talking, what, year two of his three-year contract. I've said for years the Blues don't pay coaches to not be here. I think they still believe in Craig Bruby. You know, I think if they felt that a change would have been needed, they would have made it during this past season when things didn't go well or in the off season. But when they say, uh, Hey Craig, let's set up your coaching staff for the future. Who do you like? You know, he brings in a couple guys that he likes, especially him doing his homework on coach Weber. You know, I think he's got a lot of input. I think they still like the direction the team's going with Craig Bruby. So unless this thing falls apart and this team is not competing on a nightly basis, I don't see Craig Bruby being in that conversation. He's Jeremy Rutherford. Find his work over at The Athletic. That's where you can find those NHL superlatives going into next season as well. JR, enjoy being at the rink for your kid, man. We'll talk with you again next week. Yeah, just wait till it gets here, BK. If you got a hockey player, you better start saving now, buddy. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're hoping to push away from that. Hockey's a little yeah, expensive. That's why my girls are playing kid. golf. <laughs> That's why I'm eating ramen at night because the kids are playing hockey. <laughs> <laughs> He's Jeremy Rutherford. Always appreciate his time here on 101 ESPN. By the way, the junk drawer, we had to skip it today. It gets JR. It's uh, brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill, the best trash wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out seven days a week. Alex, how do you think we should be evaluating Craig Berube going into this season? That's the final question that I asked there of Jeremy Rutherford. But when I read that Berube was the second most likely coach to be the first coach fired this season, it kind of surprised me, honestly, because I'd, I'd be pretty shocked if Craig Berube's fired in season. Yeah, I think the only way he's fired before the end of that contract is if this team 
is legitimately one of the worst teams overall in hockey because that's underperforming and that is a head coach's duty to get the best out of his players. But in terms of evaluating him, I'm evaluating Craig Berube off of the growth of certain players. I'm not evaluating Craig Berube off of the defense. And I know everybody's going to say, well, it's the coach. You should get the best out of your defense. Unfortunately, just like we're talking about Ollie and this pitching staff, sometimes you're just handed a bad area and it's not your, you can't get the best out of it. You do what you can with the players you're given that might be the defense but Cairo but Thomas but Jake neighbors I'm looking at the development of those players of Toropchenko those are the guys that you need to continue to see steps forward last year was tough for Robert Thomas that's got to be better same can be said about Jordan Cairo same can be said if Scott Perunovich is getting some reps on the defensive side this season the the Barubi evaluation is going to be the growth of the core players and how they continue to develop. And if they don't, if it's stagnant or if Thomas looks worse than what he did last year, that's when we start to get into the conversation of, OK, it might be time for a different voice. But I don't think that's going to happen before the end of his contract term with the Blues. Agreed. I would narrow it down to four players. I think it's Kairou, Thomas, Buchnevich and Pareko. Those are the four guys that I would kind of narrow it down to in terms of who he's being evaluated based upon their performances, yeah. because those are the guys that you're building around right yeah. now. I'm with Colton you. Pareko needs to be maybe not a number one center or number one defenseman, but he needs to be a legit top four defenseman this year. We saw that at times from him at the end of last season needs to be consistent this year. Buchnevich, Thomas, and Kairou, we should finish the season feeling like all three of them are legit top-line players. Yeah, if we're, discussing, if we're discussing one of those three playing on the second line, it's a failure. And, and, like, maybe they are technically separated, right? They decide we don't want all three of these guys on the same line together. That's fine. Yep. They should be capable of yep. playing on a top line for a contending team. Performing that like is, a top-line player. Exactly. Uh, so that that's how I, for, for me at least... Yep. I think his job will be evaluated. And the main main reason, BK, too, that you stick with Craig Berube is you've got to see what he does with these younger guys next year. Because, I mean, Craig Berube, the reason he got to the NHL was because he got the best out of those American Hockey League players like Ivan Barbashev. Ivan Barbashev was a top offensive player in the American Hockey League. And then when they brought him up, and of course, fourth-line player, and developed into a 60-point player. But he got the best out of those types of guys. Vince Dunn in the minors, he he's here... To, to develop these younger players and get them on that level. So the Cairo and Thomas is you got to get there, but then you're going to see what he does with Bolduc when he gets the chop, the chance and the Zachary Deans, when he gets a chance and Snuggerud next year, when he gets those chances, that's where Craig Berube is going to shine. And if he doesn't get it out of them, then yeah, you've got some issues coming up next. We're diving into some NFL quick hitters, including a top 10 quarterback list, Alex, that when I saw the top three, I thought to myself, I think we might have officially arrived at a consensus. We'll get to that and why one future Hall of Famer might be on the hot seat heading into 2023. That's next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. It's time to dive into some NFL quick hitters. Let's start with the, th- the story that I tease going into break. Alex, a future Pro Football Hall of Famer might be heading into the 2023 season. 
on the hot seat. According to Tom Curran, who's one of the most plugged-in Boston uh, reporters in the country, specifically covering the Patriots, Bill Belichick is heading into the season on the hot seat. Quote, He's on the hot seat. He's been there at different levels of warmth all the way back to 2019. That's what Tom Curran had to say yesterday on the Rich Eisen show. Alex, what do you think the Patriots have to do this year for Bill Belichick to avoid the dreaded hot seat by the end of the season? I would say playoffs. I mean, you made the decision to draft Mac Jones and make him your quarterback. You made the decision to bring back these offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators that are Bill Belichick guys. Everything has been Bill Belichick. You've built it around him and it hasn't worked. So I would say if if he's your guy moving forward, you better make the playoffs. You better see significant improvement with Mac Jones and this scheme that you've built. Because if it doesn't do anything, if you underperform and miss the playoffs again or an under 500 team, and yeah, I could understand him being on the hot seat, and that's with him being a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I, I think it is playoffs for Bill Belichick, and not only just playoffs. If they get in and they barely get in, I think it's going to come down to the development of Mac Jones, even though all the reports have been that they've been looking to move on from him. Let's be honest, Belichick put Mac Jones in a terrible spot by having Matt Patricia be his offensive coordinator last year. So <laughs> that's a Belichick thing. So I, I think it comes down to playoffs and also what the growth of Mac Jones looks like. Man, I'm fascinated by this because, guys, look at their division. Like, you think they're going to make the playoffs over the Bills, the Dolphins, or the Jets? I think they're definitively the worst team in that division. Oh, absolutely. Like, no doubt about it. And so to get to nine wins, much less 10 or 11, almost feels impossible. So if he's going into the season on the hot seat, if that's real, and Tom Curran's as trusted as they come up in New England, he was the one that was sounding the alarms on Tom Brady leaving before anybody else was willing to listen. I think we might be watching the final season of Bill Belichick in New England this year. Yeah, I, I because mean, I go ahead, BK. I, I don't, th I don't think they can make the playoffs. I don't think this roster is capable of it. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I mean, just looking around the AFC, you more than likely you're going to be third or fourth fourth worst team out of that conference. Oh, Especially because yeah. the, the Raiders improved. You hope the Broncos improved. I think the Colts and Texans are going to be slightly better. And then Great. you've got everybody in the AFC North that has been right where you're at. You might be one of the worst teams in the AFC this season. And yeah, I, I think, think there's like 12 teams that are definitively better than them. Yeah. Agreed. Chiefs, Bills, Bengals, Chargers, Ravens, Jaguars, Dolphins, Jets, uh, Browns, I think you could put into that category. I would put the Titans personally ahead too. of them now that they've uh, they've added a little bit. I think the Steelers are better than them. And then you start getting into the conversation of, like, how do you feel about the Raiders? How do you feel about the Broncos? And now you're into the bottom four or five in the AFC. I, I'd be shocked, yep. absolutely shocked, if they ended up in the postseason this year. And if that's what they're going to be judging him by, I think it might be the end of the Bill Belichick era in New England right. at the end of the year. Tinfoil real quick. Bill Belichick, head coach of the L.A. Chargers next year. Like it. <laughs> Anybody get Brandon Staley out of that yeah. I mean, like, place. we know he's going to mess up sometime this year, cost himself his job, and if the Patriots move on from Belichick, he's going to become the number one commodity on the coaching market. And then Tom and Brady comes out of retirement. Lot. Oh, no, no, I don't think they're that close. Ah. <laughs> uh, you know where I could see him next year? Dallas. Ooh. Yeah. I like that. That was it. 
That, yep. that was the place that I was going to say. That's where I see it, too, especially if McCarthy underperforms. You see Dak Prescott said, I'm not throwing 10 interceptions this season. Yeah. Okay, Dak. You want to bet on that, Dak? <laughs> I, I will on the DraftKings app. <laughs> I'll, I'll take the under. I'll take the under. Um, all right, let's go over to the quarterback situation. Speaking of Dak Prescott, Alex, ESPN put out their top 10 quarterback rankings yesterday. This is, this is based on their conversations with a bunch of different executives, coaches, scouts, and players from around the NFL. No surprise, number one overall, Patrick Mahomes. The surprise here is that somebody ranked him second, which is wild. Like, get out of here it's with like that. like the guy that didn't vote Ken Griffey Jr. into the Hall of exactly. Fame. Exactly, exactly. You, so, your voting is revoked for the rest of your life, sir. Patrick Mahomes at number one. I think they got it right by putting Joe Burrow at number two. To me, he is the clear-cut, no doubt about it, second-best quarterback in the NFL right now. And then Josh Allen was at number three. Let's start here, Alex. Do you think that is officially the consensus top three? Yeah, I do. I, I Joe Burrow, to me, is the second-best quarterback in, in the NFL. And I thought going into the season last year, Josh Allen was in that position, but I can't deny he underperformed massively. Um, to his expectations, and that's exactly how I would put it. I think Burrow's got the better roster around him, but Mahomes is clear-cut the best quarterback, and Burrow would be too, so that's how I would rank it. Yeah, I think the top three is pretty much set, and I know like some would say Josh Allen had a disappointing year last year. I still think all the tools are there to where like he could break out at any point, and that's just waiting to happen. So I think the top three is set. Where my issue starts with this list is at number four. So at four, I'm going to go through the top ten for you guys, and then we can kind of get into where we have issues with it, if we have issues. This is Dak Prescott. I'm turning my mic off. Four, Aaron Rodgers. Okay. Five, Justin (laughs) Herbert. Six, Jalen Hurts. Seven was Lamar. Eight, Trevor Lawrence. Nine, Dak Prescott. And at number ten, they have Matt Stafford. Yeah. How the hell did what Matt Stafford make this list? What is your biggest issue with that top ten, Alex? Uh, Aaron Rodgers at four? I don't think he's the fourth best quarterback. I, frankly, I would put Lamar Jackson at number four. And that's with all of the injuries that took place. Uh, I like where Jalen Hurts was at, even though it's a small sample size. I think Trevor Lawrence should be... Uh, the argument to me starts... Aaron Rodgers and Trevor Lawrence because it would go Mahomes, Burrow, Allen. I'd have Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts. Then we can start getting into conversations. That's how at least I would go with it. And where's my guy, Daniel Jones? Well, you know. Get, get, stop. <laughs> what do you mean, stop? Stop it. I, how the uh, hell did Matt Stafford make this damn list? Well, you know, he wasn't healthy enough to prove he's not a top 10 <laughs> quarterback last year. He had one good year with the Super Bowl run. Come yeah, on. Well, that's good enough, man. Um, I agree with Alex. I, I think number four is where I have my biggest issue is Rodgers. I, I don't think he's the fourth best quarterback, and I think you saw that last year. So I would bump him all the way down. I actually think I would put him behind Trevor Lawrence even. I, I was more impressed with Lawrence last year than I was Rodgers. I, I think you can just basically move everybody up a spot up until you get to the eight, and then that's where I would put Rodgers because I do think Rodgers is still better than Dak. And then I, I, I have an issue. Look, I'm a Rams fan. It's out there. Is I it? don't think Matthew Stafford's a top ten quarterback in the NFL. What? I would put almost anybody ahead of him. I like I'd hear the argument for Tua, Carr, Golf. Uh, Cousins even, and I'm not even a Cousins supporter. Yeah. I mean, Cousins should be... Matthew Stafford's not a top 10 quarterback. Cousins should be on that list over Stafford. He really should. I I mean, in terms of consistency, Cousins should be there. I I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, I think Cousins is right around that range. I think, honestly, I think there's a top nine, and then there's a significant tier break. Agreed. As much as you get frustrated, Alex, with the Dak Prescott love, Dak Prescott is in a different 
stratosphere from Matt Stafford, Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff. Like he's just he's a better player than those guys. Yeah. So I, I would say it's like a top nine and then everybody else. I, I'm a little disappointed by the fact that they have Jalen Hurts at number six. I think he should definitively be ahead of Aaron Rodgers. Agreed. Oh, absolutely. And I think you can make a case to just flip them. Like, would you guys have Justin Herbert or Jalen Hurts right now ahead of one another? I would have Justin Herbert ahead of Jalen Hurts just because I think the tools are better with Herbert. If you put Herbert on the Philadelphia Eagles team with that roster around, I think you're seeing the same success, if not better. So, I would have Herbert above Jalen Hurts. Frankly, I would have Lamar Jackson above Jalen Hurts. The problem has just been Lamar Jackson has been injured slash an awful roster. I want to see what he does this year with at least more talent with him. Yeah, I I think I would have Herbert ahead of Hurts. Just one, because I think it's more sample size. And Herbert's been very consistent since he's been the starting quarterback. And for Jalen Hurts, it's only been one year. Mm -hmm. And and like, I I can understand where people get to the argument because you can see him run the football well. We've seen him throw well. But I, with Herbert, I know every year what I'm getting with him. And with Jalen Hurts, I think the book is still out. Though I think he's not going to fall back and not regress. I think he's only going to get better from here. I at least know consistently what Justin Herbert's been. I think I'm leaning towards agreeing with you guys. I want to see it one more year out of out of Jalen Hurts. I remember, what year was it? Was it 2015? Yeah, 2015. Cam Newton, at age 26, led the Carolina Panthers to a 15-1 season. He threw for almost 4,000 yards, 35 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions. And oh, by the way, that is not to mention the fact that he had 650 yards on the ground with 10 rushing touchdowns. He was the clear MVP, was the best player in the world at that point in time. The next season, he threw 19 touchdowns and 14 interceptions. Cam Newton was amazing. But he had one real excellent season. I want to see Jalen Hurts do it again. Because last year was one thing. If you can put that together again this year, you're going to have to be considered a top three to four quarterback in the NFL. If he does again this year what he did last year, he'll be ahead of Josh Allen for me. Because at that point, it'll be more production than what we've seen out of Josh Allen. Daniel Jones will be on this list next year. That's That's the final question that I wanted to ask you guys. (laughs) Who is the player that you think will move up the most from last year from this list to where we have this list next year? I think it's Trevor Lawrence. I think Trevor Lawrence could be talked about pick. in the top five, especially with his roster. You saw the confidence kind of take over last season. Trevor Lawrence, I could say, by the end of this season, might be a top five conversation piece. I, I like that one. I, I'm going to go with someone that didn't make the top ten. I think he could be in the conversation Kyler to sneak Murray. in. No. <laughs> uh, Justin Fields. I can see where Fields has a big yeah. breakout year and starts to crack top 10 lists Especially next with DJ year. Moore. Yeah, I, I think Fields is the guy that has that big kind of breakout year, can sim- be similar to what Jalen Hurts did, not as much as, like, get them to the Super Bowl. But he's going to run the ball well. If he can throw the ball well, you're talking about a quarterback that's got two tools. I think he's a guy that could sneak into the top 10 potentially next year. I like that one. You guys took the two that I would have gone with, but just to throw one more, Alex, you mentioned Lamar Jackson previously. Yeah and what he could be this year. Man, he, this is the best supporting cast he's had since being in the NFL. And he finally has an offensive coordinator that's actually going to utilize his arm as well as his legs. Lamar Jackson might be the guy where he just comes out this season and we all are reminded, oh, yeah, forgot. A few years ago, that guy was the clear-cut best quarterback in the NFL and won the MVP because he was amazing, both as a thrower and a runner. It's 
very possible that we see something like that again this year for Lamar and the Ravens end up winning the AFC North. Sounds crazy right now, but it's possible. Uh, that, that would be the guy that I would hone in on as maybe being able to move up this list once again. Coming up next, the Cardinals sound like they're ready to modernize their pitching. But are they really? We'll talk about it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So the Cardinals are saying all of the right things when it comes to modernizing the use of their pitching. Alex, yesterday, John Mosaloc came out to uh, speak with the media and said, quote, the part about how, or part of what we have is uh, we need to start thinking more about how we evaluate pitchers. It's something that we're taking a hard look at upstairs. More swings and misses versus the ground ball type of thought. We will definitely be baking that into our future thinking, end quote. In T-Bone's update, he mentioned how we talked earlier today about uh, or with Skip Schumacher, the new Marlins manager. And one of the things that Skip mentioned to us, Alex, was how the Marlins have really prioritized that swing and miss stuff in both their rotation and at the back end of their bullpen. When you think about what the Cardinals are trying to accomplish with their pitching staff, are you buying that they are actually going to go all in on this? Or do you think we're going to end up with more of the same? No, I'm I'm buying they're going to go into it. It just is a matter of what type of pitcher they're going after. That's the part I'm still skeptical on. But I am buying the fact that they're viewing Major League Baseball as a league that is swing and miss stuff. And I don't think John Mozeliak is dumb enough to look at this season, realize that the banning of the shift has impacted you significantly. And when your manager is saying like, you've got to have swing and miss stuff because it gives you something that you can kind of uh, reach back and deliver that other teams aren't expecting. You don't have it and you don't have it anywhere in your pitching staff or in your minors. So I am buying that they're changing their mindset. You have to have swing and miss stuff. If the successful teams have it, the question is going to be, are you going to target the right type of guys with swing and miss stuff? Because this whole myth of finding guys that have untapped potential, I don't know if I buy that with the Cardinals because they haven't been able to tap into that potential with a lot of guys that we've heard them talk about. So rather than hope for finding the guy that you know nobody else is expecting and comes out of nowhere and brings all the swing and miss stuff, I'd rather you just target the guys who you know have swing and miss stuff and you're putting it right into the rotation to help fix it. Yeah, my concern is that they're going to fall into the same pitfalls of what they've had previously. Now, they'll do it in a different way, but it'll still be capping out the ceiling by having a bunch of threes and fives in their rotation instead of getting legit front-end starters. Like, my concern, Alex, is that the Cardinals will attack this by going out there and signing so, like some trio of Gray, Cobb, Paxton, Malley, Lynn, Andrew Heaney, guys like that that are like mid-tier starters, and they'll sell it to the audience, they'll sell it to our listeners right now by saying, hey, look, these guys have a much better strikeout rate than the pitchers that we had a year ago. And they'll be right. What they're telling you is, is factually accurate. But if you look at the bottom line numbers, it's not all that different than what they had available to them right now 
with Jack Flaherty and Jordan Montgomery. The Cardinals have to upgrade from that. And I think that's the part that I'm having a tough time with is Jack Flaherty and Jordan Montgomery are really solid starters. Like, T-Bone, if I just asked you this question, Jack Flaherty and Jordan Montgomery compared to this group of pitchers, Sonny Gray, Alex Cobb, James Paxton, Tyler Malley, Lance Lynn, Andrew Heaney. Are any of those guys definitively better than what you currently have with Montgomery and Flaherty? Definitively, no. I could hear the argument maybe on Gray over Jack right now, but no, I, I don't think any of those guys are definitively better. In fact, I think Monty and Jack are better than most of those names. Alex? Yeah, no way. Monty's better than pretty much all of those names, and Jack... Um, I could hear arguments on, but I would still give the slight edge to Jack Flaherty because I've what because of what I've seen him do. Um, I think all of those guys, you know exactly what you're going to get. Then your rotation needs to get better by signing a number one starter. Agreed. Like that. That's the part that I just have a tough time with is as much as we can talk about, yeah, go get the swing and miss stuff and they need it. And that's how you fill out the bottom portion of your roster, your bottom portion of your rotation. Really, it's about do you have the guy? That's what the Cardinals have been missing and continue to be missing right now. They don't have an Aaron Nola. They don't have a Blake Snell. They don't have the guy that's coming over this offseason from Japan that could potentially be a number one starter for somebody. They're throwing out Miles Michaelis, and last year they threw out Jose Quintana in the first game of a playoff series. Like That's what they're messing up. And so my concern is that they're going to learn the wrong lesson from this year. Again, they're going to learn the lesson that they didn't have enough swing and miss stuff, which is true. And then they'll say, because we got a bunch of number threes that have a little bit better strikeout rates, that's now going to fix our rotation. When I don't think that's going to be enough to do it, Alex. Yeah, um, it's why I'm so concerned by a team that sits here and says, well, 2024 is is our winning window. We're not trading Goldschmidt and Arenado because we believe we can compete in 2024. And you go into the offseason and you say, well, we've got finances available to us, but then you don't spend it. Because, yeah, it sucks to have to get into a bidding war for an Aaron Nola or a Blake Snell when there are seven other teams that are competing. But, you know, those seven other teams that are competing believe that they can win right now. And that's who you need to be in the conversations with. You don't see teams typically stay away from the big names because they know that they can go elsewhere. Like Tampa Bay has found ways to do it, but Tampa Bay has found ways to stay relevant as baseball changes in terms of their drafting and developing players and targeting them via trades. You've sucked at that over the last five years also. So you're going to have to break the mold that is, okay, well, we're not drafting and developing these guys. They're not coming anytime soon. We don't want to trade pieces off of our roster that makes us better in these areas. So we're going to have to go spend money. So, yeah, I do fall victim to worrying that this Cardinals team isn't going to go after the Aaron Nolas or the Blake Snells or the Rodriguez's because they're going to say, oh, it was too costly for us. We just didn't want to pay that extra year. Right. We all remember the David Price stuff. But I also am very concerned that all of these guys that are getting on this no trade list means the Cardinals are just going to go sign these mid-tier guys that have swing and miss stuff but don't resemble other teams' top pitching staffs. Somebody on the text line says, BK, I do agree with you, but do the Atlanta Braves have a legit number one starter? Do they have an ace? How many guys do they have that are legitimately better than Montgomery or Flaherty? I can name two right now off the back of my head. 
Yeah. They yeah. Do, they do. They 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 do indeed have really good front end starters, including a guy by the name of Spencer Strider, who has a three point six ERA this year, guys, and is striking out fourteen batters per nine innings. Even Charlie yeah. Morton, who I said in the off season, and I got blasted for this. I would rather have Charlie Morton than Adam Wainwright going into this season. Charlie Morton has a three point two ERA this season and is striking out 10 batters per nine, despite the fact that he's like 100 years old. And they're doing all of this without Max Freed, who came into the season as their number one starter, and they have developed Bryce Elder, who has been awesome for them this year. Sub three ERA is striking out like nine batters per nine innings. He's been really good too. So yeah, they've they've got quite a few guys that I would put in that, either in the conversation with Flaherty or Montgomery or better yeah. than Flaherty and Montgomery. Yeah, and I mean, I just look around of the teams that are going to be competitive. They all have a legit ace, if not a legit number one starter. And yeah. you going to the market to try and claim that Lucas Giolito or Sonny Gray is that? I'm sorry, you're just not going to be able to compete with those other teams. Yeah, you're going to be a step behind from everybody else. And, and that is that is a fair concern to have with the St. Louis Cardinals. And I guess my only hope that that's going to change as Moa said, the model is changing. If the model is changing, that means you're going to be paying hefty prices for starting pitching. And I hope that means in years, too, to where it is not going to be as simple as, oh, we just give out a four-year deal to Aaron Nola. No, Nola's going to want some certainty. He's going to want a seven-year deal and making a crap ton of money. So that would be my hope for the Cardinals. And then also, I, I really hope, and I don't think we saw it this year, so maybe this model changed after the draft, that they start <laughs> drafting guys that have swing and miss stuff. Because everything they seem to continue to draft is guys that profile as four fives, which that's fine. You do need those guys to develop in your system, but they have no swing and miss most of the guys they are drafting. And I thought Skip said it perfectly when we had him on. He said it is tough to develop swing and miss. You have to draft swing and miss. Don't you think they should have decided that as a group before they well, went to this you know, draft? I think they should have decided that they needed swing and miss about seven years ago, but, you know, they're a little slow on that. It's just wild to me that the draft was last week, and then a week later, Mo's like, well, we got to change our mindset when it comes to pitching more swing and miss, but yet we drafted all of these dudes who sit in the 92 yeah. range with their fastballs. Well, you know, they were a little slow to get to the slug baby slug. We're, we're a little slow on the swing and miss. Okay. We're getting there. We'll we're get getting there. there. We'll get there, boys. Hopefully baseball does and take a next step in the next seven years because otherwise we'll be behind. Oh, maybe they'll go back to contact hitting next oh, year. Okay. Well, we might actually swing and miss was four that. into the Cardinals, and coming up next, we'll give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Foreigner and Loverboy. It's next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. is the Air Comfort Service text line. And now is your chance to, on that text line, if you are texter number 101, to win a pair of tickets to see Foreigner with special guest Loverboy this Wednesday night at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Tickets for the historic farewell tour are on sale right now, but if you're a texter number 101 and you can answer this question correctly, you are going to get a pair of tickets right now via 101 ESPN. Alex, the question today for the audience is, earlier today, Alex sang the theme song of a television show. 
what was that TV show? If you have the correct answer, your text are number 101. You are going to see Foreigner and Loverboy. All right, way, let's finish off Nobody's this know that. show today um, with a quick thought on what was the biggest story last night for the Cardinals, guys. A big night for Dylan Carlson. Alex, for me, it changes nothing. I looked into his numbers, and even since June 9th, when he's been really good offensively, it's the same thing that we've seen previously. He's batting 195 since June 9th against right-handed pitching. He's batting 430 against lefties. He's still rocking lefties. He's not doing well against righties. I, I understand why they're going with Newt Bar and Walker above him. I would still trade him at the deadline, even though I think he's going to go on to be a solid player elsewhere. Yeah, I, I think he's going to go on to be a all-star, and you look back at it and you think, ah, oh, man, Cardinals should have never traded him away. But everything it comes down to is what you get in return because you, you've got to nail that trade. It, it sucks to have to trade pieces that you thought were going to be bigger contributors than what they have been, but that's how baseball goes. You have to accomplish the trade and get something back in return that helps you win for 2024 and beyond. And I don't know what that's going to look like. Frankly, I think you're going to have to do a lot of packaging players together like Doug Armstrong did to get the best assets in return. But unfortunately for Dylan Carlson, it just has not worked out here. They're siding with their Lars Newtbar and Jordan Walker. Let's hope that they're right, that Lars Newtbar pans out to be what they're hoping he's going to be. Yeah, and I, and I think you trade him now because his his uh, value is still pretty high across Major League Baseball, and he just doesn't have a role here in St. Louis, and, and I honestly don't have the fear of him becoming an all-star elsewhere. I think he'd be a good player elsewhere. I don't have the fear of him being a consistent all-star to where you look back and you feel like you lost that trade because his ceiling to me is just a good player. I, I just don't. I, he's got to hit right-handed pitching, and he hasn't proven it here in St. Louis that he can do it. Cardinals back in action tonight. Going to be a tough test for them going up against Edward Cabrera, a really good right-hander for the Miami Marlins. They have Jordan Montgomery going on the mound for St. Louis. Hopefully he's able to have a nice tune-up game here prior to the deadline coming back off of the injured list. It sounds like, guys, we should be expecting Tyler O'Neill at some point in the next couple of days as well. So for Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.